Hello, everyone. We are here today to, uh, I mean, obviously you're listening to an episode of Manga Mavericks, but uh, unfortunately, we kind of have to do that thing we have to do sometimes where um, a few, I'm, I'm just going to say it, a few very legendary people in the anime and manga industry have passed away recently. And obviously, it would be so hard to kind of transition in and out of this news amongst like everything else we have to talk about. And um, again, some of these passings are like very, very big news, especially so uh, we kind of figured it would be more appropriate to kind of start off the show with them like we usually do. So I guess, uh, Lum, if you want to go ahead and take it, uh, take it away. We lost street legends in the anime and manga industry. Two of them were musical composers that we lost recently who are responsible for some very iconic themes and tunes from very iconic franchises. First, we will mention that Shinsuke Kikuchi passed away on April 24th due to aspiration pneumonia at the age of 89. And, of course, Kikuchi is probably best known by Dragon Ball fans for scoring the original Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z anime, as well as Dr. Slump. But he was also responsible for many iconic themes and iconic franchises like Kamen Rider, Kamen Mask, Kashan. His credits are so extensive. I mean, the man was also the soundtracker of Doraemon. Honestly, that's probably one of his biggest franchises he worked on but obviously Kikuchi's scores are the sound of so many of the series he worked on especially Dragon Ball you have all these debates about people who are talking about you know what the best soundtrack is but everyone I think is pretty much a consensus that you can't hold a candle to Kikuchi's original soundtrack for the Dragon Ball anime series so I mean, that's the sound that, to this day, Dragon Ball music is kind of always going to be cared, compared against and trying to live up to. And I think that's true of all the franchises that he's touched and worked with. Like, he was just a, such a talented composer, and it's just a really sad loss. I think a common sad thing about all of these recent passings is that they did all pass away of medical issues as we'll also get into another very iconic and renowned composer and lyricist, Akira Ito. He passed away on May 15th due to acute renal failure at the age of 80. And of course, he was very well known for composing the lyrics and jingles of so many iconic themes in various anime manga series. For me, of course, as a Yurisayatsu fan, you know, he wrote Lum's Love Song, the iconic first opening of the series. So that is just so tied intrinsically to that series. I mean, I discovered Yurisayatsu because I YouTube surfed anime openings just randomly in high school and I came across it and I was like so curious about it that you know, I searched it up and then found the manga and went from there. And just, you know, he wrote the lyrics to the opening, that iconic, iconic jingle. And so many other great openings and endings too. Like the Stop Hibarikan opening that he wrote is so cute and fun. That's another one of my faves. The Cutie Hundy ending theme 
just so many iconic songs that he wrote. And it is, again, a real sad loss to have such a talented writer pass away. But perhaps the most tragic loss I think we experienced because the reason why this feels most tragic is because this person passed away so relatively young. And that's Kintaro Miura, the creator of Berserk, who passed away at the age of 54 on May 6th due to acute erotic dissection. And they held on to this news for three weeks Basically, like but we didn't really find out about it until the 21st, funny it. Like they, they waited two weeks before announcing the news, but it it's in a shockwave uh, in our any manga Twitter community because Berserk is such a beloved series and it is inspired uh, so much. It is the story has touched so many people. There were so many emotional tributes uh, and so many expressions of grief at the news of Kintaro Miura's passing and so much spreading of like the the messages of the story, the moments of the story that people found so profoundly resonant. And Berserk as a work, I think, will leave behind a great legacy. Miura will leave behind great legacy, but it's so tragic that because of his whole complications that he didn't live a fuller life like longer than you know uh, he had because again 54 years old is just so young that's i mean younger than my parents it's just really really shocking and i had the news and yeah it was really felt throughout i think our community but yeah, Hakushensha, you know, they, they posted a, a statement and I guess I'll just read it out because it's a good statement. Uh, manga artist Kintaro Miura passed away at 1448 on May 6, 2021 due to acute erotic section. He was 54. We would like to express our deepest respect and appreciation for art- his artistic work and pray that his soul rests in peace. Miura's family held a funeral. Kintaro Miura worked on a series of Berserk and many other popular stories for Hakushensha over the years. Berserk is currently serialized in the Young Animal comics, and Doron Key has been on the Young Animal Zero starting two years ago. We would like to take this opportunity to thank all of our readers for having loved his works. Please accept our most heartfelt condolences on his passing. Hakusensha. All personnel in the Young Animal Editing Department are deeply disturbed and saddened by the sudden death of Kintaro Miura. We have been at a loss as to how to cope with this painful reality. We just cannot find the words, to be honest. Our memories of him are delightful and filled with his smile from the times when we were together. He was always talking so happily about his favorite comics, cartoons, and movies. We had honestly never seen him angry or upset. He was a happy person in the heart of a young boy. We would, like all his fans and persons related to him, imagine him smiling joyfully and pray silently with us for the repose of his soul. We appreciate your kind understanding. Sincerely, the Young Animal Editing Department. So I think that, you know, encapsulates, you know, Miura was a very beloved person in addition to his story being beloved. And it's just sad to lose such a great creator in person. There have been so many tributes by Mangaka written, reminiscing about their experience with him and how him and his work has affected them. One of the most touching 
was from George Murakawa, who recounted working with Miura. Miura worked at with Murakawa as his assistant back during their college days, and. It's just an incredible story. Like, we'll link the link to the page where all these creators have uh, expressed their thoughts on Miura and the translations of those were given uh, being an article compiling them because there's so many people who recounted some wonderful thoughts and stories, including Susumu Hirasawa, the composer of the 97 Berserk soundtrack, Hiro Mashima, Adam Dietz, the assistant director of Castlevania. And when you look through all the listed names of the creators who had these words eulogizing Miura, it really does hammer home just how influential Berserk was and how reverberant its influence was on so many different pieces of media over the decades of its tenure, of its running. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we will deeply miss Kentaro Miura, and we deeply mourn his loss. But if there is any recompense, I think it's just that he really did inspire a lot of creativity in people. He inspired a lot of hope in people through his story. Like, there have been so many touching stories about, like, how the messages of Berserk, how the story of Guts and him persevering through some of the most harrowing, horrifying experiences imaginable, like, gave them the courage to persevere on themselves. Like, I think that Miura left behind a great legacy in Berserk as a story. And I think that his memory and the messages he hoped to get across in his work are going to live on for a long, long time. Thank you, Lum. I, uh, I really couldn't have said any of that better myself. So I think with all that, we are going to move on to the rest of the show. But uh, just know that we are dedicating this episode of the podcast to the lives of Shinsuke Kikuchi, Akira Ito, and especially Kentaro Miura. Thank you for everything you've given us. Your legacies will live on in everything you've contributed to the anime and manga industry. And all we can really say is thank you and rest in peace.
is the Manga Mavericks podcast from AllComic.com, episode 162. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lum Ramiyasha, and it's time once again for our monthly news roundup. And boy, oh boy, was there a lot of news, because it seems like not only Seven Seas, but even Yen Press and Kodansha and Starfruit Books had a lot of license to announce, so we'll have quite a big license roundup. But there's also a ton of serialization news, a ton of big industry news in terms of acquisitions and partnerships, and then there are so many anime announcements, we still have more Mugen Train <laughs> news to talk about, <laughs> if you can believe that. And we have a ton of polls to talk about too, which is a little bit fun. And even on top of old that we got a new series to talk about a new style pub chojin x by sui ishida creator of tokyo ghoul and this was a long-awaited new series from sui ishida and we're gonna share our thoughts on it at the end of the show after all this news but yeah there's a lot to cover oh my god yeah so get ready for at least a three-hour podcast this is gonna be a long one i promise you that if you don't like long podcasts i'm sorry but there is like so much to talk about we we did our best to kind of like shave what we could, but like a lot of this is really important and we need to go over it. And um, so just to put it out there, in case you haven't listened to the last episode, we're not going to be talking about any lists this episode because we already covered those on our previous episode covering Demon Slayer. Uh, so if you want to hear us talk about the newest book scan and New York Times bestselling list, that's on the previous episode if you want to listen to those. But for uh, so in a rare feat, uh, we're going to actually jump straight into serialization news, Lum, if you want to go ahead and start us off. Yeah, we got a new manga coming from the creator of Wakakozake, Chi Shinkyu. And this has already come out on Comic Zenon, and it's called 72-Year-Old Mikako. And it's basically about a elderly woman whose husband recently passed away and now lives alone in their house. And her children and grandchildren are worried about her, so they give her a smartphone. And while using it, she comes across an old account of her husband. So I am curious about the direction this manga will take. Wakakuzake was more of a chill kind of slice of lifey foodie manga about just going to different bars and having good beer and bar food. So it was super chill in that respect. This one might touch upon some slightly heavier themes, but of course, Shinkyu's style is pretty light and generally good-natured. So I think that it might just be a nice story of a woman kind of reminiscing about her husband, maybe even learning new sides of her husband that she didn't even know during their years married, and just that being a charming little story about reconnecting with someone that has left her life in a whole new way. So I'm definitely very curious about it. I don't know if we'll get licensed at some point, but I would like to see it. I did like Wakakozake a lot, and I would be curious to read more of Chishin Q's works. Mm -hmm. This seems very cute. And also Wakakozake, definitely on my list. I need, I need to get to that at some point. Mm -hmm. It's a very fun, chill show. Next, we've got a new manga from Humura Kawamoto, artist of... Uh, Kakegurui, and they've got a new series called The Killer of the Reincarnated Cheat Slayer, and this is going to be out on June 9th in Monthly Dragon Age, 
And it's going to be written by Kawamoto, going to be drawn by Aki Yamaguchi. And it's basically going to be a revenge story coated in hate and desire. So there's not so many slaughters all who reincarnate from another world. And the teaser image shows a guy tearing up while being cradled by kind of a sinister witch figure. So going to be some interesting things there probably in terms of whatever dynamic is between these characters and whatever kind of dark imaginings are going to happen that is going to cause someone to try and kill the people who get isekai and reincarnated Mm, yeah this this looks like it'll be sadistic as hell which is fitting considering the type of story uh, kakaguru as in how many sadists are in that series kawamoto is good at writing sadists (laughs) We got another new manga con from Izumi Miyazono called Dreams and Love in Insomnia. And it's going to launch on June 8th in the July issue of Petite Comic with color pages for the first chapter. It's going to be about an actor who does adult content. So get into the spicier side of Miyazono's works, which I'm sure fans of Everyone's Getting Married, myself included, are definitely curious to see. I'm curious to see if this will get picked up at some point, licensed, because I think Everyone's Getting Married was a fairly successful popular work so yeah i would definitely like to see more works from miyazono come out over here and this one definitely seems very interesting as one focused on the of course adult film industry but we also got another shoujo jose related new manga coming out because kazuna kawahara has got a new manga called star brighter than the sun that's coming out in the june issue of Basatsu margaret magazine centered around a girl who is stronger than the average girls in a class and her childhood friend who used to be weak but is not popular with everyone so story of a girl who's very strong and a guy who used to be kind of weakling but now has gotten you know to be a pretty popular guy, maybe even a stronger guy. So interesting to see how that dynamic's going to play out. And obviously, fan of my love story, High School Debut, definitely interested in reading another Kawahara manga. And if this does turn out to be successful, I think it's a shoe in to get picked up over here, at least over here. Mm-hmm. I'm here for the strong girl antics. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting into some sequel spin-off stuff, and one of is such a surprise because we're getting a sequel to Welcome to the NHK by Tatsuko Takimoto themselves. It's so interesting. Like after 20 years, we're getting a sequel to NHK. But yeah, I really don't know like uh, what this new story is going to be about. It's just called New Welcome to the NHK. Like the original NHK kind of feels like it had a pretty solid ending i don't know where you go from there it'll be about a different shut-in who has to work through his issues to get out into the world but i'm definitely curious to see like another take on nhk and i don't know if it's gonna follow sato and the original characters of their first novel or it's gonna be a a new thing related to it but i'm definitely curious because of course i really enjoy that story and of the anime that was based on it so definitely definitely curious yeah this is interesting because uh confession time here i've never seen welcome to the nhk 
it's I've always kind of seen it around. It, obviously, it's on my list, but like, yeah, I don't know. I I remember when this was like. I feel like this used to be a bit more popular back in the day. Like, I, I feel like I used to see it a lot more around than I do now. So it'll be interesting to see, like, if the series will kind of enter, like, the anime zeitgeist again, maybe. Possibly. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that NHK is still pretty fondly remembered. Like, I feel like, you know, it has still a good reputation. Obviously, it's an older series at this point, so maybe it has faded away. But, yeah, I'm curious if this new novel will get at that into an anime it's pretty impressive that that first anime could adapt and expand on the original story to make it a two core 24 episode thing so i would be curious to see like what kind of team could be assembled together to kind of recreate that magic but you know i am curious just to see like what will come of this and hopefully it'll get picked up and i'm very curious to read it and yeah and nhk is definitely a wordy recommendation to anyone who wants to just check out a story about a guy suffering from severe social alienation and a bunch of issues in terms of his anxieties and paranoia and stuff there's a lot of you know very difficult uh emotions but some very uh tangible and relatable ones as well so it's a very compelling story i do like difficult emotions Mm-hmm. Next, we've got a new Saint Seiya spinoff slash adaptation. Jerome Alki, right off of doing his new Space Pirate Captain Harlock comic, he's going to be tackling Saint Seiya soon with the same publisher, Kana. And yeah, like working right alongside Kuramada, you know, going through different production steps. We don't know when this new Saint Seiya comic is going to come out, but I'm curious to see the world of Saint Seiya reimagined by Alki, because that his Captain Harlock comic is quite good. I'm definitely curious to see his take on Saint Seiya. I think it's just very cool to see like a French comic artist adapting the Saint Seiya. It's just really cool. Yeah, I, I'll definitely check this out. Yeah. And speaking of, of the spinoff front, we've got a new Gundam War in the Pocket manga by Hiroyuki Tamakoshi. And the focus of this manga series is seemingly going to be on Chris, obviously the Gundam pilot in 0080. And so that's kind of interesting to have a take on the story from her perspective, considering that yeah, we're really seeing 0080 from, you know, Bernie and Al's perspective. So to learn more about Chris and what she was up to and her perspective on the events and like how she was operating as a Gundam pilot and what she was going through that we kind of don't necessarily get as intimately familiar with as we do with, you know, Bernie and Al's thoughts and struggles. You know, I'm definitely curious to see a take on that. And I would be curious to see if this gets licensed. I, I would hope so. Again, that is definitely a beloved part of the franchise, I think. So I definitely would like to see this new manga interpretation adaptation of it. Now, moving on, we're going to be talking about stuff that are coming to an end, or at least approaching an end sometime very soon. First among these being Golden Kamui, that has just been announced that it's entering its climax. So obviously that's a little nebulous of like, are we in the final arc? Are we approaching towards the end? I'm sure people who are more directly keeping up will know, but... 
You know, if the series has been gone for a long time, it's been going on for many years, so I could definitely see it approaching an end. But yeah, it's very, very curious to see that the end for Golden Kamui is coming sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, Golden Kamui, if you haven't read it already, it's so good. And I'm I'm interested in seeing how it'll end. I, obviously, I unfortunately, I haven't really like been able to like uh, keep up from uh, where we caught up when we... Uh, originally talked about it on the show but honestly golden kamui i think is going to be one of those things where like when it's eventually all out and all translated like i think we should probably do a follow-up on it at some point there'll definitely be like a lot of story to cover that will definitely warrant a follow-up because i mean probably didn't even cover half of what the final length of the story is going to be so there's going to be so much more and there's so many more about like the big you know overarching mysteries and plot stuff that we couldn't get to in that first one because we only covered like 11 volumes so yeah definitely it's worth a follow-up now a series that is probably going to be coming to an end sooner rather than later like and by this i mean i think we'll see the end of this very soon is shirimoria's solicited cage now this series just returned after a two-year hiatus in april but as of its recent chapter released on May 24th, it was announced setting towards Climax Tech. By the time that you are listening to this podcast, and maybe it's ended already, it's definitely heading towards an in-game. So I think we're definitely going to be seeing it end in a couple weeks or months. So definitely, definitely curious to see when that'll be. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just good that Moria was able to resume the series to give it an ending. So even though it was a long wait for that conclusion, I think it'll be one worth waiting for. Mm -hmm. I want to cover this next one real quick because, uh, you know, uh, it's not out yet, but we did just recently record an episode on this series in particular that hopefully will be out in July. That's the plan for right now. Obviously, plans could change. So keep that in mind. But uh, yeah, so uh, it's interesting that this this news literally broke out, I think, around the time we recorded this episode recently. But Tokyo Revengers from Ken Wakui, you know, that uh, that pretty popular series right now that just got an anime, has entered its final arc as of the 26th issue of Kodansha's Weekly Shonen Magazine. And so, yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot in our upcoming episode, but honestly, uh, just kind of judging from where we left off in our read-through up to Volume 20... That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And as Sakaki mentioned, in terms of details of like where the story was now uh, in the current chapters, like it also made sense what the final arc was in terms of concept and conflict, and that it would be approaching its conclusion soon. Mm-hmm. Again, we mentioned this in our upcoming episode, but man, I really, really, really wish Volume 21 was out right now. Like, Volume 20 ends on, like, the best cliffhanger. <laughs> I was so angry when we when we caught up to that point. Oh, man. Yeah, 21 would have finished the arc, so it is a shame in our timing there. Man, yeah. But uh, if you haven't already read Tokyo Revengers, I- I'm probably giving my thoughts away too early, but you, sh- you should go read it. It's very fun. And uh, please look forward to our upcoming podcast about it. I had a lot of fun talking about it. I did, too. Though, admittedly, I had my share of criticisms, but you'll hear those on the episode. But I would also give it a recommendation, because it does have a lot of fun and thoughtful stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Now, speaking of Shonen Magazine series that are approaching its ending soon, Smile Down the Runway has been confirmed to end with its 22nd volume in August. And this makes sense considering how long it's been running and what I've been hearing in terms of recent stuff in the story. So yeah, basically the manga is probably going to stop its realization pretty shortly here and the final volume will be out in August. So definitely looking forward to catching up on this series, reading it through to the end when all of it is out over here. Oh yeah. Now, on the subject of long-running shonen series that are finally coming to an end, this time for sure it seems that Taikara and Children is going to end. Obviously, we've been hearing that the final arc of Taikara and Children was happening since 2014, so it's been seven years since that announcement of the final arc was, you know, happening. But finally, it seems that Takashi Shina has confirmed that They've written the final afterword comment for the final chapter when it'll get published in Shonen Sunday. So it seems that in the coming weeks, Zen the Care Children will definitely be ending. So I'm definitely curious to see finally the series end. I'm curious to see, like, you know, if it will ever get a new adaptation that'll cover all of it, whether. I, I really wouldn't get my hopes up on it ever getting licensed, but it is one that I really would like to check out and read at some point. But it is such a notable work in terms of how long it's been running since 2005, 16 years. Woof. It's been a long, long time. So, yeah, it, this is one of Sunday's longest titles right now, and it is coming to a close. Heck, this may be its longest title. That has been currently serialized after Conan, depending on how you want to classify Major Second. But yeah, definitely like one of the longest series on Sunday. Finally coming to a close here. Now, I guess our final piece of serialization news to touch on is that Kaguya-sama Love is Roar is going on a hiatus for a month. It'll be back in the 31st issue of Young Jump in July, but it's taking a month-long break so that Akasaka can do some research and write and compose among his new act. So I think that was just worth mentioning because a lot of people are big fans of Kaguya-sama were probably going to be disappointed at this break. I think this is definitely like the longest break this series has taken in terms of serialization, but I think it's a well-needed rest. I'm definitely curious to see like where the story is going to head into now. Like, I mean, it's like... What is left? Like, what are the future conflicts that are going to go forward from here? Because it feels like, man, so much feels like it's happening in the Shiragana Kaguya relationship. It passed so many milestones. Like, once you have your characters, you know, hook up, have sex, like, where do you go from... I mean, like, oh, wow. I'm not where do you go from there, but it's like, you know... It's so interesting how Kaguya-sama is like, you know, they finally get the characters in a relationship, but, like, they understand that there's so much more to explore in terms of, like, how that relationship develops from there. So that's a great thing. It's just, I'm curious, like, hmm, how much longer will it run? Like, where's the final destination of the story leading in terms of, like, where these characters are headed? So I'm curious to see how the story continues for it, how these characters' relationships continue for it. So, yeah. But I th- again, I think Akasaka, I think a break is a good thing, and more Magaka should do that. No, yeah, for sure. Um, I just want to say that uh, I really want to thank uh, Marion and Maxi in particular for uh, always talking about this series. 
And uh, it's really got me interested in, like, picking it back up because uh, I originally only started, like, I-, I tried watching the anime. I only made it through, like, a few episodes. And I thought it was fun, but it was one of those things where I was just kind of like, oh, it's just going to be a lot of this for a while. So, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, I, I think it's fine, but it-, it wasn't really, like, hooking me, like, completely. But n- knowing what's coming up later on makes me really interested in like getting back into it like you know reading the manga and maybe even like talking about it at some point on the show possibly i think that would be pretty cool yeah you're not wrong that it is a lot of rom-com shenanigans for a while but obviously relationships do progress and there's a lot of character drama stuff character art stuff like characters are more complex than just rom-com uh, archetypes, so yeah, there's a lot of interesting meat to Kaguya-sama beyond just the the great humor of it all, too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I definitely want to get to it at some point because again, I've I've heard very good and surprising things about this series that I was not really expecting. So it's, that, that's <laughs> that's got me interested. Um, but yeah, that's really about it for zero, uh, serialization news, huh? That is it, though I suppose this is a half-serialization, half-licensing type news, in that we are getting a new Jump Plus series being released on Shonen Jump and Manga Plus later this summer slash fall, because it was recently announced that Dada Don is going to get licensed and published by Visa Manga Plus August-September. So, yeah, like, this is one that has been, you know, very anticipated. I mean, I heard that, like, this has had, like, a great response off the bat from Japanese readers. It's being drawn, written by a former assistant of Tatsuki Fujimoto. So the art is very reminiscent. The style of storytelling is very reminiscent. So, yeah, like... There's a lot of excitement for this one, and I'm very keen and curious to check it out. Oh man, yeah, like I've been I've been seeing people like post about this series for a little bit, but I mean, obviously, I don't know anything about it. But uh, j- just just from the like response it's had online, like I'm definitely interested in like reading this when it's out, and I'm I'm sure we'll talk about the first chapter on the show like as soon as it's out and when we get the chance. So look forward to that. Um, I didn't know they were an assistant to Tatsuki Fujimoto. So that, that has me interested. Um, I'm really interested in checking this out. Yeah. Yeah. Like just looking up some of the art, it definitely seems pretty wild. So <laughs> very curious. Ooh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But um, before we get on to the rest of our licenses, I just want to step in here real quick and talk about some updates for some digital only titles. Uh, First off, uh, I literally did not know about this until, like, yesterday or the day before when it, like, popped up on the Viz and Shonen Jump apps. But uh, uh, Viz is, you know, in in lieu of all of their, like, uh, short-lived Shonen Jump series like they've been doing uh, recently, uh, they are releasing Mori King through digital volumes. So if you really enjoyed that series, uh, you can now purchase digital volumes of those. Uh, the first volume just became available recently at the time of this recording. Um, again, Mori King is one of those things where I'm I'm looking forward to probably uh, covering that on the podcast as like a jump stop kind of thing at some point, even though, like I've mentioned before, I thought Mori King was fine, but it was one of those things where like, uh, 
I didn't really think it was like that particularly funny personally. Uh, again, not saying it's bad. I just don't think it was really for me. But I'm still interested in like revisiting it and like giving it another chance because I, I know people do like it. So there's that. Yes, I enjoy Mori King a lot. It was a fun comedy series. It became like a very fun uh, battle comedy series, especially. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I am looking forward to revisiting it. It was such a charming read with very fun characters. Mm-hmm. The other digital only thing that we want to mention real quick is that all 44 volumes of Drops of God are now available in English for the first time exclusively on, on Comixology. Uh, this has been a long time coming. Uh, I know Kodansha has been really working hard at trying to get whatever Drops of God wasn't already translated in English available out there. Uh, it can now join the ranks of such series as uh, uh, Shaman King, Beck, Initial D, all of those long-running series that are available on Comixology. And uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about Drops of God. Again, another thing on my list that I would really like to maybe maybe talk about. I don't know. Look, our, our list of stuff to talk about grows and grows every episode. But I mean, and I probably say it a lot, but Drops of God legitimately looks really interesting. And I've heard a lot of good things about it. And I don't know. It's it's just something I would really like to read at some point, especially since like it's just all available now. Yeah, I enjoyed what I read of it back when it was only those first couple volumes in print, and it is definitely like a very well beautifully drawn wine manga with some really good stories to it. So, yeah, I am curious to see how it sustained itself as for as long as it has for sure. But yeah, it's cool that it's you know finally really all available. Like I. I'm definitely very happy for Comixology for basically allowing uh, that to be possible. Mm -hmm. Comixology Unlimited, I believe, is $5.99 a month. So, you know, if you get a subscription, again, you can read literally all of this and, again, all the other titles I just mentioned. And, yeah, I mean, personally, I think it's very worth it. Uh, but now we can move on to, like, our actual licensing news, Lum, if you want to start us off. Yeah, so for some of the bigger publishers that announced a lot of different things, we will not be covering all that they have announced just because there was so much. We have each crafted a list of 10 titles that we wanted to spotlight. So 10 each of us, so 20 total. And that's out of like, I, I think it's about 50 licenses altogether. Like there was a lot that came out over this last month. Yeah, so just a select spotlighting of the licenses that were announced recently that we've just done just to, you know, kind of streamline, simplify our reporting process, also just touch upon the stuff that we're most enthusiastic, most intrigued, and passionate about. But we are going to discuss some of the indie manga that is being published by you know some publishers that just have announced like one thing and only really do like new licenses every once in a blue moon and first is a new work by drawn quarterly they are going to release offshore lightning by nazuna saito in february 2022 it's going to collect many of saito's earlier works like in captivity and solitary debt building and it's going to be like a beefy, like, 384 Amoebus book, and it's going to retail for about 22 bucks. So, yeah, like, it's going to have stories that are focusing on middle-aged men caught in cycles of self-pity and self-reflection. 
poking fun at their anguish and self-involvement while capturing pathos of the men as they revisit childhood friendships and lost loves. And there's also the story in captivity that follows three siblings visiting their ailing mother who is succumbing to dementia and resentful at her loss of agency. And the siblings take a drive as they reckon with balancing the painful legacy of her caustic personality with attempting to honor this woman at the end of her life. And then the other story, Solitary Debt Building, documents an eccentric cast of gossips as debt descends upon the housing complex where they all live. So there's a lot of musing, of course, about, you know, debt in kind of like the pains people feel in life or, you know, dealing with kind of strained, uh, fraught relationships with loved ones. The preview of In Captivity is available on Comic Speech, like a select few pages, and I read through them, and it's like, it's definitely an affecting story about reconciling and just talking about, you know, a family member who is experiencing dementia and mental illness, and then just trying to find, like, kind of the humor in kind of a stressful and saddening situation. So that definitely is very affecting. I'm definitely super curious and intrigued to read this book uh, for that story alone because it definitely hits home with me very well. And Asuna Saito's art is very strong at evoking a great sense of mood and emotion. As well as an unsettling feeling, like when the mother is like talking about having beetles around, we're seeing like that beetle and it's just like, yeah, you, you definitely get a sense of some kind of, like, very painful feelings that these characters are going through, like, just through her, her drawings. So, yeah, and Sanato Zaito is an interesting creator. Like, she really only started drawing manga in her 40s. She took a long break before returning in her 60s, and she produced, like, works of different lengths before having a struggle. And I think perhaps because she started later in life and perhaps because she... Maybe was working on manga, like, while also aging and then, you know, thinking and reflecting upon life that those themes come across in her work. And I, I think it's really cool to just have a creator who, like, started really late in life, but, like, really has told some incredibly thoughtful stories. And I am so, so intrigued to read the book. Like, I'm definitely very looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to another indie title that's going to be published by Floating World Comics. It's Suzuki Tadao's Boat Life, and this is a older work. It was published in Comics Rosary between 1996 and 2000, and it basically stars a novelist who's kind of a lightly veiled stand-in for Tadao himself, and he basically is pursuing a life of reprieve and reverie on a small makeshift house book in a Tonga River in Chiba. So it's basically loosed on Tadao's own life, and it follows the protagonist on kind of some magical, realist, absurdist kind of adventures, and has a bunch of interesting characters, like drunk fishermen and pervy monks, talking corpses, you know, hermits, and the protagonist's own, like, supportive slash doubtful wife and adult son. So... It takes place on the Tonegawa, which is actually a favorite fishing spot of Suge. So it really is like kind of an expression of the artist's own life and experience kind of brought out and kind of the, the fantastical merging with the real to create this a sense of surrealism to comment on the, the world. And it, of course, is an extrapolation on Tadao's teams that he likes to explore, like, you know, this post war 
kind of sensibility musings and just kind of thinking about being middle-aged the grind of work and family kind of the rigmarole of life so that's very intriguing and you know it's going to be translated by ryan holmberg and it seems like because it's such a talky book it's taking a long time to translate according to holmberg but you know it seems that the volumes are going to come out with the first volume on spring 2020, second volume fall 2020. And, you know, I'm really, again, I'm appreciative of some more underground uh, alt comics, indie comics, you know, kind of getting published over here. Like, I'm glad that we are getting some more alternative manga titles that stand out from kind of the more mainstream fair that kind of, you know, are a little more experimental and contemplative. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And yeah, I'm just with both Dance of the Saito's work and Ta- Sugi Tato's book, like Drawn and Quarterly and Flowing World Comics are really publishing some very interesting books in 2020. I'm super curious to read. Mm-hmm. rather. But yeah, now we can get into our licensing list from the other publishers, uh, Kodansha, 7C, Starford Books, and Press. Yeah, no, we should. Um... Would you like me to go first, or would you? Yeah, I mean, whichever is your preference, I guess. Here, you, you, you've been talking a lot. I'll, I'll give you a break. How's, how's that sound? Sure thing. Um, but yeah, so just to kind of talk about my list here, you know, like, like we mentioned earlier, we both picked about 10 particular titles that we both wanted to uh, kind of talk about. And um, the first title I'm going to bring up is from Starfruit Books. Uh, just for the record, um, Starfruit Books announced a lot of really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, I'll be talking about the rest of them. <laughs> um, the, the the one that I wanted to focus on in particular that I thought was interesting was Young Alive in Love by uh, Nijishima Daisuke, uh, in which uh, one character, Makoto, uses a Geiger to measure radiation, while the other character, Mana, can see Ghost, and then the two fall in love. And so, um, just kind of, just from kind of looking up the title a little bit, it seems to be categorized as like a uh, romance slice of life kind of thing. Though I thought that was interesting because at first I thought uh, what little of the synopsis we got or the premise that we got was uh, I thought suggested kind of like a sci-fi element with one of the characters being able to see ghosts. Though maybe that's like a metaphorical thing. I'm not entirely sure. And also from the preview that uh, the preview images that uh, Starfruit Books posted on their on their Twitter account, uh, this definitely looks like something up their alley. Like in terms of like the art style, it's it's a super interesting looking title. And um, once again, we're going to shout out our friend uh, Maxi Bernard, good friend of the show, always does really cool threads uh, because uh, they talked about how this title in particular comes from a discontinued magazine from Shueisha called uh, Jump Kai which uh, they did a thread specifically highlighting different series that were in that magazine. And man, there's a lot of really cool ones that I think Starfruit Books in particular would be really cool if like they picked up maybe. Mm-hmm. Like a, a lot of stuff that I could see them in particular picking up. But we'll probably link that thread in the show notes if anybody wants to check that out. Just to, just to kind of get a feel of like what kind of magazine that this series comes from. But yeah, um, I mean, again, Starfruit Books really knocked it out of the park with all their licenses, and I'm sure Lum will talk about them in a bit, but this one in particular I thought was really cool. So I think uh, this one is going to come out probably later this year. Uh, they specifically mentioned it will come out like quarter four of 2021. So that'll, so probably like 
late fall, early winter. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely interested in checking it out. And then just to move on from, uh, uh, I will be honest, kind of the one thing that was uh, that I was interested in from Yen Press in particular was actually one of their light novels, and that is uh, Rust Eater Bisco, written by Shinji Cub Kubo and illustrated by Kei Akagashi and Mocha, uh, Mocha or Mocha. In which, in the far future, a disaster known as the Rusty Wind, quote-unquote, has transformed the majority of Japan into a barren desert and left civilization in tatters. After his teacher falls prey to the rust, the roguish Bisco Akahoshi embarks on a journey through the sandy wastes to obtain a mushroom known only as the Rust Eater, Reuben to cure said ailment. Uh, together with the dashing young Dr. Milo, the pair will have to contend with the unforgiving environment and their fellow wanderers in order to make it back alive. Uh, that is going to be coming out this November. And uh, I mean, honestly, like, you know, I don't I don't really read write, uh, light novels. I do need to fix that at some point. But this one in particular seemed really interesting. I feel like I've seen the cover for this around before. Like, th- this seemed really familiar to me. And I don't know, like, uh, j- just just the idea of, like, this, like, desert adventure really, like, kind of captured my attention and is something that kind of sounds like it could be up my alley. And, yeah, I would just really, like, check it out. And so, yeah, I'm going to be honest, the, the rest of my stuff is from Seven Seas because, not just because they had the most titles I was interested in, but, like, they licensed the most out of, like, every publisher we're going to talk about in this episode. They literally came the up with, like... The wave crashes down again. <laughs> they literally came up with, like, 33 licenses or something. So, unfortunately, like we said, we're not going to cover them all. But I think we, I think we both got a good portion of them that we're going to, like, talk about. This one I'm going to start out with is Kiruru Kill Me by Yasuhiro Kano, who I did not know until recently was also the author of Pretty Face, which uh, I'll get into in a little bit. Uh, The first volume of this is going to come out both physically and digitally on October, in which Aoi Nemo is a big ticket businessman whose face has appeared on all the magazines and there's a price on his head. Coming to collect is Akaumi Kiruru, an assassin as deadly as she is beautiful, but the person who requested the hit was Aoi himself. From the moment he laid eyes on her, Aoi fell for his femme fatale. And he'll do whatever it takes to spend more time with her, even if it means risking his own life. So this sounds like an interesting title. I kind of like the idea of this like very weird, interesting relationship. Um, so I, mean, I am going to confess something with this. Uh, part of the reason I was interested in this was also because... Um, and maybe I have egg on my face, I don't know. But... I read a little bit of Pretty Face back when I was in high school, and um, I didn't like it very much. And it's interesting because apparently there are people that like Pretty Face, and it's one of those things where, like, I just assumed that people didn't like it. I don't know why I assumed that. Yeah, it has, it has its fans. Now, personally, I think the work of theirs that I think people most like is M-Zero. Really? Have you read M-Zero? I've heard of it, but I actually don't know anything about it. Well, M-Zero is a pretty, it's kind of like Black Clover before Black Clover in a sense, because it's this guy who really didn't have like magic power, but he has to kind of fake it at a magic school due to kind of circumstances in order to protect this girl, basically. So he basically kind of has like this cheat tool that he, that I can use to kind of fake being able to do magic, even though he doesn't really have any magical power himself. 
So it's kind of a interesting take on that, and they were kind of interesting like ways you have to like work around and subvert like people figuring out a secret, while they kind of mistakenly get the impression that he's just a super badass at magic because he has access to this tool that allows him to you know use some pretty crazy spells. But yeah, it's a, it's a it was a fairly fun you know action school storyline. Okay. Uh, with a fantasy setting and whatnot. Now, I do think uh, Kano, you know, Whip or Pretty Face and M-Zero, like, one recurrent thing in those works is, like, you know, they're very, like, kind of fan service heavy, exploitative. So in that respect, like, this new series of his kind of feels like a, a good marriage of the, like, his strengths is, like, oh, he's good at telling action comedy stories, but, like, he also, you know, likes to have, like, this... Uh, fan service erotic element perhaps in there too now i don't know necessarily if there is going to be a lot of fan service in this but based on pretty face and m-zero i feel like there'll be some moments there but yeah i mean i'm definitely curious to read more comments because i did like m-zero a lot pretty face you know there are better gender bending slash tsf manga out there but it's not that I didn't dislike it that much, but uh, I I think Min Zero was a stronger work. But yeah, I'm curious if I uh, have another work of theirs, you know, finally being licensed and uh, localized available in English. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pretty Face is something that like I'd be willing to try again, even though I don't know if my feelings on it will change at all. Um, and M Zero does sound pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it is a shame that I never got licensed. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, and I mean. I mean, also with this title in particular is really interesting because uh, this is originally a Jump Plus title, which is interesting that uh, Seven Seas picked up something from there in particular. But uh, in in general, again, I I also wanted to put this out there because like I feel like ever since we got stuff like Spy Family and Kaiju Number Eight and coming up later with Chojin X, I I'm really I'm I'm increasingly more interested in the stuff that Jump Plus has to offer. So anything that I can pick up, I'm pretty game for, personally. Yeah, the Jump Plus does seem more reticent to publishing, more experimental or serious to have like a little more crazier premises and allowing some content that the main magazine isn't want to allow generally so mm-hmm. yeah there definitely can be more eclectic uh selection of works for sure oh yeah now actually i just realized that mashal is probably a better uh point of comparison for Zero than black clover like not a thing but like kind of exactly this concept of like having to pretend that you're super badass at magic but you don't have any actually oh wow it's like literally the same oh my gosh <laughs> but yeah um but no yeah uh like I said, that's going to be coming out physically and digitally in October. And, you know, I will be willing to try it. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, we have I Am a Cat Barista by Hiro Majima, uh, in which for some people, the daily grind of city life is exhausting. Yet somewhere between the busy streets, there's a mysterious cat cafe that can only be found by weary souls. What's on the menu? A delicious cup of coffee, uh, specially brewed for each customer by a cat barista. And... Look, I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. Seven Seas licensed a lot of cat manga, uh, or at least they licensed a few anyway. But um, th- this one in particular I thought was interesting because it's a it's it's a gentleman looking cat. How do you not like that? I'm not e- I'm not <laughs> even a cat person, and I'm all I'm already like really interested in this. Um, it's a very handsome cat. Oh yeah, for sure. And also, 
my my conspiracy theory wheels in my head are turning because the the barista on the cover looks like a character that could be designed by Hiro Mashima. And so it kind of it kind of screwed with me a little bit to uh, to see that this was done by Hiro Majima. I think there's a conspiracy <laughs> going on here. <laughs> oh man! What a creative pen name! Just change one letter. <laughs> Nobody would know the difference. Um, but yeah. So the first volume of this will be coming out physically and digitally in November. And so yeah, I mean, this this kind of reminds me of um of that one series that Yen Press picked up recently with uh, Penguin Gentleman. I think it's called. Yeah, though there weren't anthropomorph. Well, they they were humans. They looked human, but they had. I guess they were also penguins. Uh, they weren't anthropomorphic animals like this cat barista. Is like I think they were penguins that transformed into humans or something like that. Okay, I, I was I was just about to ask if maybe like penguin gentlemen operates on the same logic that like Nyankees did, where it's like animals that think they're human, but. It's not entirely the same thing, I see, so. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, again, it, it just it just looks really cute. I'm totally into it. Um, this next one I thought was really interesting, and one I'm especially looking forward to, with Succubus and Hitman, written by Makoto Fukami and illustrated by Seigo Tokia, in which our main character, Gamo Shoya, is a dead man. At least he was Gamo Shoya. Because inside his body resides the soul of someone else, murdered but brought back to life in his body. Now a student, living a life that's not his own, Shoya is haunted by Armelina, a beautiful demon succubus who has given him a new role, and that is Hitman. Uh, she can't kill humans directly, but she can use Shoya to hunt and kill the wicked who prowl the streets, leaving their departing souls right for Armelina to devour. In exchange, she'll help him hunt down whomever killed him in the first place, and it's a dark path for Shoya to follow. Uh, the only thing he has left to lose is his soul. So, this sounds like it'll be pretty crazy. I'm pretty into this. I don't, I don't know about you. Yeah, this does sound pretty crazy. It wasn't one that necessarily caught my eye that much, but like I am curious about it for sure. It's okay. That's why it's on my list. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm just just the premise alone sounds like it could be pretty exciting. I I really kind of like the idea of this like relationship dynamic almost sort of forcefully like symbiotic, I guess. I don't know, maybe that's not the right way to put it. I'm not sure. But yeah, no, the first volume of this is going to be coming out both physically and digitally this December, so check that out. Uh next up, we have No Matter What You Say, Furi-san is Scary by Seichi Kinoe in which Fruity Yoko definitely looks like a delinquent. She's got a tough girl image that wouldn't be out of place in a gang. And uh, when our other main character, Taira Namito, finds himself sitting next to her in his high school class, uh, he's immediately afraid of her. But as it turns out, Fruity's rough and tumble exterior hides a wholesome, totally cute person underneath, and she's totally got the hots for Tyra, although that part goes over her head. One misunderstanding leads to another in this romantic comedy about a clueless dude and the adorable, slightly terrifying affections of the tough girl by his side. So this this is a dynamic I can get into. I am totally into this. It sounds really cute, and I want to read it and upset. It's It just sound, it sounds cute. I love it. 
It's interesting. I feel we're getting a lot of series with this type of premise of like this caustic girl who is misunderstood but has a softer side and a crush on this boy who likes and there might be some misunderstanding between them or the boy realizes the girl has a personality that's different from what everyone else has perceives. Like there's a lot of rom-coms in this vein that oh, yeah. I've been seeing pop up. I think definitely popularized by Comey is kind of the preeminent example. This seems, though, you know, it has some very good art on the cover, so I think it could be a fun spin on this new kind of trend, growing trend of a premise. Mm-hmm. I forget the title of it off the top of my head, but there was definitely another title that Seven yeah, Seas. Yeah, we covered something recently that had a very, very similar premise of like this kind of girl who comes off as like very intimidating, but actually she had, you know, she was had very sweet feelings for this guy she liked, but there was this understanding that the guy was like, oh, she wants me to be her lackey rather than like she wants to date him or whatever. Mm-hmm. It sounded cute, but it, the reason obviously why it's not really on my list is because like it sounded a little too similar to Comey and, and not that I'm like against it, but, you know, I, I wanted to try to stick with stuff that um, I hadn't already like seen from other stuff completely. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, th- th- that's like, the, uh, again, I forget the title off the, off the top of my head, but th- that one is like an honorable mention for me because uh, I, uh, I I thought it was cute. Yeah. I mean, the one I was talking about was one from a previous uh, licensing round that we had mm. talked about. Like, okay. I do know the one you're talking about. Like, that is a very similar premise to this series. Okay. But, like, that's what I'm saying. It's like there are a lot of similar series in the same. Oh, yeah. So, like, the fact that there were, like, two in this, like, same licensing round is also... You know, pretty amusing, but like this is like really a growing trend of a subgenre for rom coms. Mm-hmm. I mean, personally, I'm into it. You know, I, I think it's I, I think those types of series are usually pretty cute. So, mm-hmm. uh, next one, this one is this one's pretty wild. Next up, we have the Exo Drive Reincarnation Games All Japan Isekai Battle Tournament. Uh, the original story written by Keiso, uh, with the manga being done by Zunta. In which, in the not-so-distant future, Isekai is a way of life. That should really tell you everything you need to know moving forward. Um, Now the world has perfected hitting an average teenager with a truck, so they're reborn in a new world for a fantasy adventure. How do you raise the stakes? Set up a televised tournament, of course. Now roaring crowds can follow a chosen hero through his death, rebirth, and quest to save another world, armed with special tech for cheat skills, stat indexes, and whatever else is needed. Surely, this is all in good fun, and no one would abuse this kind of reincarnation technology. Not at all. This sounds amazing, and I've already I've already heard some rumblings of like how exactly this series starts, and I'm kind of into it, honestly. It sounds great. Yeah, I mean, it is a pretty fun premise of like gamifying the isekai concept. So like you literally have these kids like compete like who can like succeed the best reincarnated in another world. And that is like played on for entertainment like realistically like it is a very great like meta commentary of like this is like us as audiences we're kind of eating up these zikai stories and so like if this was something in real life like how are we translating that to like again like watching teenagers die and try and survive in another world for our own amusement so i I do think that is a very fun interesting morbid commentary 
on like our obsession with isekai. I also think that, yeah, obviously it probably will go into like how this system is going to be, you know, manipulated, exploited. So there is some good avenue for uh, commentary here that I'm keen to see like how it would play out. So I am curious about it. But perhaps it is because of my general tiredness of the internet. I'm not like, I wasn't like super like, okay, like I, I definitely would like to have this on my list or anything. I was like, okay, you know, I am curious about this. But like, you know, if it just ends up being like, oh, this, this premise, even though with this novel premise, it does just hit similar isekai beats, I would be very disappointed. But hopefully it, it does some very clever spins on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I agree with you there. For, for me personally, I really like the idea of this in particular, because potentially, you know, th- this is the kind of isekai story that, you know, I, I like, I think we're at a point with, with isekai stuff where it's like, I'm very ready for isekai related stories that like, kind of just become self parody almost like this. I think this has a lot of potential to be like a really, really like, like you said, like an interesting isekai story with maybe commentary on its like genre and maybe even like critiques as well, you know, stuff like that. Whether it'll actually turn out like that, I don't know for sure, but I still really like the idea of this. Like this is the kind of like really kind of crazy idea for like an isekai thing that like I can get into. Like it, it is not your typical isekai story for sure. Absolutely. Uh, the first volume of this will be coming out both physically and digitally in November. Uh, next up, we have My Lovey Dovey Wife is a Stone Cold Killer by Danten Kosaka. Just a side note, Seven Seas also has licensed a lot of assassin stories, too. Uh, this is not their only one, but just to talk about this real quick. Uh, we have Setsuna, uh, who is cute, sexy, and deadly. Uh, when she's not out murdering people as a professional assassin, she's nestling at home trying to adjust to a domestic life with her new husband. She skewers ingredients for dinner, draws a knife on unwanted solicitors, and sleeps with one eye open, just in case enemies uh, sneak in. Her love-struck husband doesn't ask her a lot of questions about her day job, so this arrangement can work out if love conquers all, right? And so, yeah, this is, this kind of gave me, I don't know if it's going to be the exact same thing, but this did kind of give me, like, the way of the house husband vibes a little bit, except she's an assassin. But I don't know. I just like the idea of, like, a sort of way of the house husband type-ish stuff where it's like, yeah, one of your, one of your spouses is, like, this uh, profession uh, by night, but, you know, just regular homemaker by day. It, uh, I just think that kind of concept is cute. But uh, the first volume of this will be coming up both physically and digitally in November. Uh, next up, we have Restart After Coming Back Home, as well as Restart After Growing Hungry by Kokumi. Basically, Restart After Coming Back Home is the sort of the first volume in the series, while Restart After Growing Hungry is kind of the sequel to this work, uh, which Seven Seas is basically licensed both. But uh, these will be coming out around November 2021, in which hot-headed Kozuka Mitsuomi left his home in the country to try to, fi- uh, to try to lead a sophisticated life in Tokyo. Unfortunately, at the age of 25, he, re- he returns home in disgrace, having been fired from his job. As he tries to discover, uh, rediscover himself in the rural area he once called home, he meets uh, Kubmai Yama- uh, Yamato, a man about his age who was adopted into the- to his community while Mitsuomi was away. The Sweden even-tempered Yamato, uh, hiding his own pain, and as the two men connect, they start a journey together. So, uh, I don't remember if they said it specifically, but this this feels like something that could be like a possible BL title. Oh, I, I, it is a BL title. Okay. And the artist is well-known for BL titles. Okay, I didn't know that. But, uh, yeah, this sounds like it could be really cute. Like, 
There's something definitely relatable about like reading about a character in their mid 20s, you know, trying to make it on their own and it's just not working out and them kind of having to like uh, recover from that, unfortunately. But I think this could be a nice somber story about, you know, two people kind of comforting each other through their pain. And I don't know. It's, I just I just like stories like that in general. Yeah, absolutely. All right. But last but not least, uh, we have Robo Sapiens Tales of Tomorrow by Toranosuke Shimada. In which, in the future, robots are more than machines. Autonomous cyber persons with AI brains are part of society, interacting with humans and growing their own culture. Uh, in fact, they may be surpassing humans uh, as biological Homo sapiens, and their own world have begun to die out. But are humans truly disappearing, or are robots the new humans? Uh, this speculative uh, science fiction tale of interconnected stories was awarded the Division Grand Prize at the 2020 Japan Media Arts Festival. Originally released in Japan as two volumes, we'll be getting a complete manga, uh, the complete manga series in English in the special Omnibus edition. So that's pretty neat. Uh, this will be coming out uh, this November. And I'm really trying to think. I don't remember if I originally heard Dakazu talk about this on Manga Machinations first or if I found this on my own. But either way, I remember him talking about this on an episode of Manga Machinations at one point and thinking that this was really interesting. So I'm really glad that Seven Seas picked this one up in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely does seem like an intriguing series, and yeah, I am super keen to read it. Like, the style of it from the cover also seems very appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really about it for my list. Um, again, pretty much all these I am looking forward to. Uh, these were kind of the ones I was looking forward to the most. If I If I had to say, like, which one I'm looking forward to the most... Honestly, I'd have to say it is Robo Sapiens, just because it, to, to me, it kind of looks like the most interesting style-wise out of the 10 I picked. That and along with uh, Young Alive in Love, too. Like, b- both of these are probably the ones I'm probably going to end up picking up first. Mm-hmm. It is a good selection. Like, there were a lot of good licenses that came out of this round. Mm-hmm. I think I actually am very curious about Kano's new book, because... Again, I did enjoy his previous ones, and th- like the cover does seem fun, the premise does seem fun, so I think it could be very fun action comedy. But also, restart is, yeah, restart is probably the one I'm most looking forward to. It's kind of like a more contemplative story about like kind of adult queer men kind of working through like the disillusionment of life and some kind of pain of loneliness and stuff like that. So, yeah, those definitely stand out. But yeah, now I have my own licensing list and you started off with Starfruit title and basically I'm starting off with the other three that they announced recently. And this includes Il Manga Million by Tatsuya Ihara, which is a currently ongoing series and Starfruit's doing this digital and it's basically about a a Taku from Italy who travels to the ultimate sanctuary of manga Japan and I like the design of this guy I like his swagger and his like frizzy hair and shaggy kind of beard like I I like in one of these preview pages like apparently like speed drawing manga so I guess he's like such a passionate manga fan that he's learned how to draw a manga himself. And I like that he's clearly annoying, like, a lot of the local Japanese people he's interacting with by being just so over-the-top and overzealous and enthusiastic about, you know, being in Japan. <laughs> like, I love how this is a letter to English, Fantastico, he yells out. It seems like it's going to be a very funny story about a very kooky manga fan from abroad. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun to read. I'm looking forward to it. 
I'm also especially looking forward to another work from Nami Kuta. Of course, we had a lot of praise for Pop Life on our interview with Matt and coverage of Pop Life. And yeah, Not Old Girls So Stupid is going to be a one-volume collection of short stories about sexuality, love, and the human condition, each color with Kuta's unique perspectives, and it's going to be available in both printed digital. Based on the preview pages, it will not only cover women in straight relations, but also a queer relationship, so I'm definitely very keen about that. And also just women of all different ages, all different backgrounds, kind of like contemplating dealing with, you know, again, ideas of sexuality and love and like just their lives. And so that really has me super intrigued. And I'm also just in general, just super dashed to read more Kuta. And Matt has promised that this is just the first of many more Kuta manga to come that Starfood is working on localizing. So I'm super, super excited. I'm very excited. Yeah. I just wanted to mention this was originally going to be on my list, but I basically took it out because like I, I knew you were going to mention it. So but yeah, I'm I'm also very excited for more Minami Kuta works, and I'm very glad that Matt seems very dedicated to bringing out as much of her work as possible. Absolutely. And I'm also super excited for the other book, Starfruit. And I was like, oh, four, I was excited for. And this includes Tatarism, which is Tatari Takayama's selected works. It's a one-shot collection of choice works by Tatari Takayama, who is not just a sci-fi hormagog, but also a DJ. And she has like wow. a YouTube channel that you can like check out and basically listen to their music on. So... You can, like, find the link to that in, like, Matt's tweets and stuff. It's, like, it's super cool that Matt discovers and finds these interesting multimedia artists, just like Kakyo Shirakawa. It's just really, really fun. And so, yeah, like, the art style they have is just super, uh, like, intriguing. And these preview pages look like a lot of fun. And they are very evocative of mood. And they also seem to play and experiment with different styles, too. Like, there's kind of a more, like, shakier graphic style in one of these pages. There's this very stunning, like, UFO adaptation, abduction page. Uh, just some really great work of shadows, too, in these, like, different page, preview pages. So, I, like, I'm super, super intrigued by this. Again, it's our free books. Matt is doing such a good job selecting some really eclectic, interesting indie titles. So I'm, I'm super excited for these. Now, moving on to the more mainstream publishers, I was curious about a few new books from Kadansha. First is Police in a Pod by Mikio Yasso. This is coming out as a digital facade on June 8th. This is about a young police officer who isn't super happy at her job and was about to resign, but then she meets her new female director and not only is she, you know, very gorgeous, but she also is like, you know, a very interesting essentially person. And she kind of realizes like being around her that maybe, she, you know, the bad isn't as, the job isn't as bad as she thought. And, you know, maybe she isn't quite done being an officer after all. So the preview pages for this is already out on like a uh, book walker and whatever size you can read the preview pages for upcoming books. And I checked it out. And I feel like this, the art is a little shakier, uh, than I was expecting. But I do think the story has a lot of potential. And the fact that this is like a long-running series. It's been going on for like 15 volumes. I thought you were going to say 15 years for a second. No, not that long. It's only been running since like 2017. Okay. But, you know... It is a, you know, long-running, sane title about, like, two adult women in a career, basically. 
And, you know, being published in Morning Magazine, that's a magazine that's pretty known for publishing, like, manga that are really focused on, like, adults in their careers and watching them develop, explore those careers. Like, Space Brothers and Cooking Papa, like, a bunch of titles are also, like, just adults dealing with, like, the jobs that they do developing in their careers and stuff. So... Like, I'm definitely curious to just see the story about, like, these two women, their relationship, and, like, you know, just how they complement each other and how they help each other grow. And I also, even though this is a police manga, you know, they work at a police box, and so, you know, they're they're kind of more helpful neighborhood-type cops, so... I'm also more reticent to stories about that rather than, you know, people who are like, oh, we got to hunt down these murderers or uh, criminals or whatever, you know, sh- uh, schlocky, like a uh, crime drama stuff. So I think this seems like a, a fun story about just these two neighborhood cop gals. But also I'm super curious about Undead Girl Murder Force by Yugo Aosaki, the, the writer, and Haruka Tomiyama as the artist. This is digital first starting from June 15th and... It is set at the end of the 19th century, and the impetus of the story is that a vampire's wife is murdered, and so a detective known as the cage user is called in to solve the crime, but there's more to the detective than meets the eye, and the curtain birdcage he carries basically has, like, this woman's head in it, and she's, like, I think the real detective, and so, you know, when solving the monster takes one of the known ones, it sounds like a... It seems just like a very... Like, fun premise of, like, basically these two detectives, this one of the detectives is basically, like, this head in a birdcage, like, just this undead girl. And I think that's a lot of fun. And the art looks really stunning, especially, like, I like the designs of it. I like this, you know, kind of sepia shading on the cover here. So, yeah, this is super intriguing. Like, I watched the live stream in which they announced all these new titles they were doing in June. And, like, some of the preview pages, like, the art just really did look super, super stunning. So, I am super curious about this. And I'm definitely keen to read it. Like, the again, premise sounds very novel and fun. Like, the fact that the impetus is that the vampire's wife is married. So, it's basically about solving crimes that are happening between monsters, to and between monsters. So, that, that sounds very, very uh, fun and novel as a premise. No, yeah, it, it, it does sound interesting. Um, the, the cover alone, I thought, was a pretty eye-grabbing. Uh, it, it definitely looks like something that uh, I would at least kind of, like, pick up and flip through. Also, I, I definitely... I I can't I guess I can't read. Originally I thought it was called Undead Girl Murder Face and I was just like, wow, what an interesting title. <laughs> <laughs> uh but no, yeah, it definitely does look cool. Mm-hmm. Now I only have one title from Yen that I'm going to shout out. Now there were a few interesting ones, but I kind of have to trim my list down a bit. But I think the one I wanted to mention, and also because it paired well with one of the Seven Seas ones I wanted to mention, was Namaki Zakari by Miyuki Mitsubachi. And this is going to come out in November, and it's basically about a basketball club manager who's in love with the team captain, but her cheeky koi discovers her secret and puts her in a tight spot, so, like, how long is he going to tease her about it? So, you know, she's kind of annoyed with him, but maybe a little attractive him because she thinks super pretty playboy. I think the cover is fun, like, with her, like, pushing away. Like, I think there was a 
nice quote Sean, or at least an observation Sean after you made about it. Like, it is nice to see covers in which, like, the female protagonist is, like, showing off the, her personality and her assertiveness by, like, pushing someone away rather than being swept up or carried by them. It does seem a good indicator of, like, the proactiveness of a character in a story in a shoujo manga. And I also just think, you know, it's uh, it's just fun to have kind of a sports romance title, sports romance shoujo title. And, yeah, another basketball one to boot. And I think that's just so also fun, considering Seven Seas has themselves uh, licensed a basically sports romance title. A basketball romance title at that. But also I just wanted to mention Naki Zakari because like this is a title that people like were very anticipating. Like I did see some talk about it in a few discords I'm in of people who are anticipating this. Like this is one that it seems was very much fought for for Yen to license because like the people were like, Yeah, we gotta get this. So, yeah, I'm definitely intrigued. Like, this seems to be a title with very well repute. So, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to reading it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I, I think Blue Box recently has gotten me kind of in the mood for, like, sports romance things. So, like, I'm definitely, I, I would definitely like to check this out at some point. Indeed. And that brings me to the 7C title that I'm going to start off with, which is also, again, a basketball club romance title and that is Yuama's The Girl I Want is So Handsome which is going to be released as a single complete omnibus volume physically and digitally in December and whereas the Mikey Zakari is a you know straight romance presumably this is a Yuri manga it's about a girl who bumps into like an senpai Koshiki who she falls head over here for and she's like, you know, super attractive and she wants to get close to her. So she starts looking around the basketball club she belongs to. But, you know, even though she's obviously crushing on her, like Shiki is kind of oblivious and thinks that, you know, when she tries to get her feelings to her, that like she wants to actually become the club manager. So, again, it's just a fun, like, you know, basketball club romance story about like these this girl who becomes manager and then like the ace player of the basketball team and like a slow burn romance between them. But it's uh, only a single volume work. So, you know, I'm sure the story moves pretty fast on that front. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, this sounds like a lot of fun. Very curious to read it. I also was just tickled that there were two basketball club romance titles uh, announced kind of in the same stretch by two different publishers, but also uh, two different approaches to romance. One a straight romance, one a queer Yuri romance. Which I appreciate. I appreciate that variety and diversity. But yeah, I also enjoy myself, you know, a good LGBTQ works in terms of Yuri BL. And another good BL that 70s licensed is Kanaki's Seaside Stranger, Arakase no Atranger. Now, this is a sequel to Seaside Stranger, which Seven Seas is going to be publishing this July, but they've already licensed the sequel here. And the sequel sounds super interesting, but it's basically about the protagonists who, you know, they're pretty set in in the romance right now. But, you know, one of them, Shun, you know, his old home life started a lot of pain because he was disowned by his parents because he was gay. And he's really haunted by that. But now... You know, he has to confront that because his father is ill and he has to go back to Kaido to see them. But, you know, he has a partner by his side. But, of course, he has his own complicated feelings about, you know, kind of dealing with his partner's parents' 
being in ill health, but also them being homophobic and how they might perceive and treat him. And also he has his own baggage in terms of his relationship with parental loss, because he was devastated by the loss of his own parents. And so he's also grappling with those difficult emotions and those are being brought up again, the situation with his partner and also those said parents might have upset him. So it's very, very fraught, emotionally messy situation. So what is this trip going to mean for them? Like this couple is going to really have to face some ghosts from their past, work together, you know, for their future together in, you know, this very thoughtful story. And like, I think the emotions, the circumstances of this feel super real of like, you know, having to not only grapple with ill or parents who are in failing health, but also, you know, as not unfortunately like a lot of uh, queer kids, queer folks are disowned by their parents, by their family. Uh, and then even in the moment where they have to reconnect, there's always just this, um, this anxiety of or being accepted or being ostracized again. And so like, this seems like such a, such an emotionally wrought a family situation dynamic but that still feels very real to i think a lot of anxieties and experiences people have actually had and you know that really uh enthralls me intrigues me so i am super keen to read this like having even read the original i'm definitely going to read like the first seaside stranger when seven seas released in this july because i definitely want to check out this sequel because it seems like it goes even to even more like super like emotionally messy but super like real emotionally difficult situations now on the flip side of that to just go into you know something that seems like it's going to be a fun comedy i am also very much looking forward to mikoto yamaguchi and mario's who wants to marry a billionaire now this is going to be a gold ship title so you know it's going to be a little bit etchy but this is coming out in december and it's about a woman who's approaching 30 years old and down on her luck and she needs a plan to dig herself out of amount of debt, but she knows just the thing. Going on Tama Roa, which is a famous reality television show where women compete for the right to marry the rich. It's basically The Bachelor. <laughs> and so she may not be the most well-connected protestant or the prettiest or even the most provocative, but she's willing to do whatever it takes to twerk the competition and bag her man into money bags. And I just like the expression uh, the protagonist makes on the cover like the sly kind of you know tongue out expression that she's <laughs> making like you can tell she has a lot of sass and she's going to be very sly and clever in how she's going to game this reality show and in general I think you know even though it's so weird that this is you know the title is parodying who wants to be a millionaire even though it's clearly the story is a parody of The Bachelor <laughs> But I think it's going to be a fun send-up of The Bachelor and our reality dating shows. And I think, you know, even especially with the Etchy Edge, it's going to be a lot of fun to read. I'm definitely looking forward to it because uh, character design looks good. The, the protagonist seems very interesting and very fun. So, yeah, super intriguing. Like, I think it's going to be a really fun one. Yeah, yeah. I, this, I, I'm i a little mixed on this one because I... On, on one hand, I, I kind of like the idea of, like, a manga kind of based on The Bachelor a little bit, but also at the same time, 
I can't, I can't, I can't stand The Bachelor. It's really just not my thing. So I, I don't know. I would. At well, least... it's not the real The Bachelor. It is <laughs> that, that's a manga fair. parody of The Bachelor. So you don't have to sit through all the boring, annoying parts and people being <laughs> fake. Because you know you're gonna be inside this woman's head. You know she's just trying to game this game show so that she can marry into riches. So, like, I think that's going to be the fun drive. There's not going to be any pretense that any of these people are actually looking for real romance. That's that's fair. Yeah, uh, I can definitely do without that. Um, I don't know. I, I would at least like to, like, kind of flip through it and see what it's all about. Yeah, I think it'd be very fun. And then, of course, the final Seven Seas license that I want Spotlight to mention is, of course, the next manga from Nagata Kabi. My Wandering Warrior Existence. This is coming out on March 2022. And yeah, this one is basically gonna continue Kabi just exploring her own life and relationships and mental health. This one specifically is going to be about her feelings on love and marriage. And yeah, Kabi's works are always such a gut punch. They really you know, pierce the, my, the heart. They're very, like, reliable and emotionally raw and evocative. And, you know, I think she has a kind of a knack for describing her own experiences and in relating them in a way that people can super identify with and see themselves with and, you know, empathize and relate to. So, yeah, like, they're always very thoughtful, thought-provoking reads. I just... It's like contemplated pieces on like just the struggles of going through life. And again, as always, I just wish Kabi will find just kind of that civilian happiness. Like her TCAF panel that she uh, did was very like, it was by once both comforting to kind of just see how her like life, quote unquote, and just see her like how she actually looked, you know, in terms of physical health and like how she was doing. But also, you know, the way she was talking about things, you know, it's clear that she's still dealing with a lot of pain, a lot of issues. So like things are getting better in some respects for her, but things are still, you know, struggle for her. But again, like I, I just I'm still very keen to read more of her autobiographical work and more of her manga because you know she has a a very thoughtful way of articulating the problems that she faces in life and kind of describes in a way that that feels so universally relatable but also very hopeful but yeah that's basically my licensing list my list of 10 out of the however many that i wanted to spot in particular and I think that between these, I think that's a good selection, a curated selection of titles to spotlight of, of, you know, different genres, a lot of variety here. And of course, we do encourage you to look up everything that was licensed, you know, go on ANN or what have you to look at all the, you know, news reports uh, for anything we may have missed. But I think these are the stuff that we have our eye on that we're most looking forward to. And we think that you should keep an eye on for as well, because they do, these do seem like some of the most interesting titles that'll be coming up in the near future here. Mm-hmm, for sure. And I mean, I also just want to apologize for the people who prefer it when we do cover every license. But again, this the, we've just gotten to another point where like we could have maybe spent an like an entire other podcast just covering literally everything that's come out. So we we've kind of had to 
shave off a few and talk about the ones we were mo- the most interested in just due to time. But again, we do encourage you to like look up what else Seven Seas has, uh, or I guess whatever else other publishers have picked up. Uh, you know, basically everything we haven't mentioned. So there's that. But yeah, I'm. I think that's gonna be about it for licensing news. And uh, I'm gonna start off with our first piece of industry news because uh, we have another new manga app. If you could believe it, one from uh, Amazia in particular, who has recently launched the Manga Flip app, which is a uh, it's basically an app that's free to download on both iOS and Android. I've gotten the chance to kind of like flip through it a little bit. Um, it's basically another manga app that has a few exclusive titles available in English, uh, stuff that I don't think is really like available anywhere else. Um, it's not quite as extensive as say like Mangamo. I think there's only like maybe t- like like I think ten titles on it or something. It's not like a whole lot, but you know I, I do think there is at least like a, a decent variety of stuff here. Again, just flipping through some of the stuff. I don't have a lot of thoughts on the app just yet, though. Honestly, I wouldn't mind if we can find the time for it at some point. I wouldn't mind maybe dedicating an episode to covering like a few titles on this app, like we did for the Mangabo app, just just to kind of check it out, you know. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you are looking for more stuff to read and you you want more free apps, again available on iOS and Android, and uh, there you go. Uh, Lum, I don't know if you've gotten the chance to like look through this app or not yet. I have. I think the title that I found most eye-catching was State of Marriage. Because just one of those situations of like, you know, people, they're kind of approaching a point where they're like, hmm, you know, maybe should I get married? Like, I'm getting to an age. And, you know, I feel like, obviously, no one should feel pressured to get married it's not in my opinion like something that is you, there should be a ticking clock on but it is a genuine concern a lot of people have so this is a it's like i going through date of marriage it did seem like a very kind of good slice of life well, slash slow burn romance about just you know two people like kind of going through some romantic woes and then kind of making the promise with each other to like hey maybe we should get married after a certain point so i found that very intriguing and then a lot of these other ones also seemed uh, pretty interesting i think in terms of the interface the app is pretty uh intuitive again there aren't a ton of titles it's very easy to navigate and find all the titles but yeah like you know it works pretty well i've not had any technical bug issues with it and i've been able to read everything pretty that i wanted to check out pretty well so yeah I think it's good. I think uh, the other standout is probably the the gargoyle one. That's just a fun comedy about this gargoyle just traversing around in a forest and wacky shenanigans happening. Mm, interesting. I think the one title that like stood out to me that I kind of like flipped through the most of was uh, Kukuru Mawase, just because like it, it's like I think it's like the one sports comic on there, and it's, and it's like a baseball one. So like I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's definitely one I want to check out, too. Yeah, that was just kind of one of my early... Uh, I think that was, like, the one I, like, went to the most out of everything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, again, uh, early thoughts on this app are... I, I think it's I think it's a decent, good app. Like you said, it, I think it runs very well. Um, I didn't really have too many problems with it myself. Uh, it will be interesting to see, like, how many more titles they're able to add on this app in the future. Um, and see if maybe they can give Magamo some competition. You never know. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I guess, um, again, if you're interested in uh, checking it out, uh, go check it out. And hopefully maybe we'll talk about it more in the future. But once again, Lum, we have so much more industry stuff that we need to cover. Indeed, we do. And we're going to talk about a lot of partnerships slash buyouts, uh, merger things. First, we're going to talk about Kaiten Books partnering with Pathway Book Service for the physical distribution of their manga. Obviously, Kaiten Books has been around for a year or two now, and they've been living publicly and digitally, but now they've partnered with Pathway Book Service to basically publish their titles in print. And so their physical copies of their titles are going to be available at a lot of bookstores like Barnes & Noble Book Depository. And so some of their upcoming physical releases are going to be, you know, Loner Life in Another World, uh, Shed That's Ken Ryugosaki-san. Pretty much all their titles are going to get some sort of physical release this summer, basically starting with Loner Life's third volume on June 15th. So, yeah, you can look forward to seeing Kaiten Books titles on store shelves very, very soon. As you get that, they are now physically available for those who enjoy and prefer collecting print books to the digital. But more on the digital front, Yen Press has announced a new Yen audio imprint, which will include five audiobooks. And yeah, Yen Audio is basically going to be their new imprint for audiobooks. And so, yeah, partnering with Hitchet Audio to produce, sell, distribute digital audiobooks for select titles. And the five, basically, novel series that are going to be receiving audiobooks this year and coming out soon are Solo Leveling. Volume 1 audiobook is going to be out in July to sort out online. Volume 1 audiobooks will be out in August. Overlord Volume 1 audiobooks will be out in September. So Leveling Volume 2 audiobook out in October. SAO Volume 2 audiobook out in October. Miracles of Namiya General Store Volume 1 out in November. Psychic Time of Evil Volume 1 out in November. Overlord Volume 2 out in December. And SAO Volume 3 December. So those are the start and lineup makes sense. Those are among like the most popular light novel titles, I would say, Yen has. Though I'm surprised there's no Konis... Konisubo was not among the starting lineup. I, I feel like that's among the most popular franchises, but uh, maybe they're working on that. But yeah, like uh, if you really enjoy audiobooks and want to listen to audiobooks of light novels, like this is a cool opportunity to you know listen to audiobook versions of those books and i enjoy like audiobook versions of light novels like i've listened to some of the bakemonogatari light novel audiobooks and those are really well done often you know they get like great voice actors uh in to do the to read the books and do the character voices like Christina V basically does like all the female characters in the Monogatari light novels and she's super good at them and it's like man I wish he was also playing the characters in the dubs of the anime of those series of those Monogatari got dubs so yeah like, I'm super curious to see how these audiobooks turn out and it's cool that Yen Press has started this new initiative mm-hmm. now related to uh you know the whole light novel scene and Katakawa and whatnot Katakawa has acquired J Novel Club. And yeah, basically now J Novel Club is no longer like independent, but it's uh, kind of being brought under the Katakawa umbrella. And the reason for this is Katakawa is strength, trying to strengthen its ebook business to drive further expansion of its light novel business into the English market. And they're basically going to have with both J Novel Club and Bookwalker. And GX Plus under their belt, uh, they're basically going to 
you know, have like a lot of different distribution channels for their books. And they are going to make use of Jay Novel's digital first strategy to release more of their titles digitally and complement Yen Press stuff, which, you know, of course, Chadakawa, again, also owns uh, Wetashet. So, yeah, like, it's always not necessarily, like, a positive thing, necessarily, that, you know, a lot of publishers are brought under, like, the same corporate and Bella. Like, I feel like for the market, it's better to have different independent publishers all thriving rather than basically them all being consolidated like the fact that jay novel club and yen press are basically now sister companies and now there's gonna be a lot of kind of crossover slash kind of inter-company competition between them or inter like the fact that they both are publishers of light novels it makes me wonder like is jay novel club gonna get phased out in favor of yen or is yen's light novel line just gonna shift over to jnob club like I, I do wonder like you know how long the balance of maintaining both companies is gonna last because of course as we saw with kidanch vertical you know they stayed separate for a little while after being brought into the same corporate umbrella but uh eventually vertical was just folded into kidanch so what's going to happen here between these two considering they kind of have similar focuses i wonder uh like how is bookwalker the fact that kind of co- owns bookwalker what's that going to mean like for j novel's own platform digital platforms i do wonder about that but yeah i mean we will see what this will lead to whether this will diversify the opportunities the novel has for how many titles they can license or what titles they can license or will this restrict them to only being able to access katakawa stuff like i do wonder about that like right now there's not a ton to go off on like what the future lies in store for j novel but it's definitely like something to keep an eye on and especially with the you know recent stuff with kadansha vertical be skeptical and critical of. But I also will say the same thing of uh, AT&T deciding to spin off Warner Media to merge it with Discovery as kind of like a new sub company that's technically separate from AT&T. Obviously, they have a lot of investments that they'll keep in it in this new company, but it'll technically be a separate company. And... Yeah, I mean, the idea of this is like, this is going to be headed by the new discover, the current Discovery president, David Saslov. And the transaction is going to be completed by mid 2022, provided all shareholders and regulators approve the deal. And yeah, it's, this is such a big industry shakeup move for the entertainment film industry because it's like, man, ATT just like, Less than five years ago, bought Warner Media. They were like gonna make big use of it, their IP, and they had this big plan for HBO Max. But now it's like they're done with it, and they're just trying to like ditch their media company, ditch their entertainment company to just recoup some of their debt. And so, like, what's gonna happen to Warner Media? Like, there's the thing that's concerning about this is kind of like there is rumors that the new company might get sold off even though it'll be like the second biggest entertainment company below only disney like there's still a rumor that they might try and sell this off and if that happened and were to be bought by like disney or amazon or whatever like that's not 
as there's more consolidation, less companies independent competing with each other in the marketplace, not a great scene for the entertainment industry. And this obviously, you know, is relevant to this anime manga sphere, obviously, because Warner Media owns Cartoon Network, which includes Tanami. Currently, it's still owns Crunchyroll. Like the Sony deal is still going through, but technically, it hasn't finished finalized yet. Uh, but even so, Warner Media has a Japanese division, Warner Brothers Japan, in which produces a bunch of anime, and of course, uh, Warner Media is producing a bunch of their own anime through Tanami. So yeah, like what's gonna happen with all of that through this merger, like and the shakeup of hands, like what projects are gonna be affected. What projects might benefit? It really is all up in the air, but it's a big industry shakeup move that does have reverberations for the anime industry, and it's going to be interesting to see like what happens in the entertainment landscape if this plan, this deal goes through, and what lies for uh, entertainment industry in America going forward, and how that'll affect the anime industry because of the, all the investments all the major players have in the anime industry. But yeah, those are some big industry shakeups to discuss. But now we're going to move on to some interest pieces. Though so this is sort of related to kind of a, I guess like an online retailer is like kind of affecting the distribution of anime microproducts because eBay has announced restrictions specifically on adult anime games and manga that they're going to put into effect on June fifteenth. Basically, they're not allowing any adult only. Uh, listings on eBay anymore after June 15th or basically items showing sexual activity, sexual content, sexually sadistic poses. And so they specifically like single out uh, anime in this comics, books, films, animation, and like specifically manga, hentai, yaoi. Like basically they, they have signals specifically like adult uh, or even just slightly erotic anime manga content are no longer going to be able to be sold on eBay. Which, you know, depending on how draconian, how stringent and strict they're going to be on these rules, uh, like, that could affect, like, a lot of works that are, you know, maybe a little etchy, but not, like, full of pornographic being able to be sold on eBay. And, yeah, this seems like kind of an overreach, especially considering that they're making exceptions for kind of these staple magazines that are known for their pornographic or at least sexually suggestive content. You know, the Playboys and Penthouses and stuff like that. So it feels like there's a double standard there. But, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a little frustrating for anyone who, you know, wants to, like, hey, maybe uh ditch or kind of sell off some of their old to love uh manga on ebay or whatever uh more etchy or fan service manga that is not technically pornographic they just want to sell it on ebay they no longer can do that because these rules are a little strict about like whatever type of content can be shown on the cover or even in the book so yeah like it, it seems again a lot of online social media slash like internet selling companies like they are being very overly strict on adult content like we had this problem with tumblr and instagram and even paypal like dropped its support of payments to like supporting creators who do erotic stuff so yeah it's it's not very helpful because like a lot of these creators who do specialize like artists who specialize in like kind of adult erotic uh comics and stuff 
like how else are they going to be able to distribute their works if you remove all the platforms avenues to promote and sell those works so this seems again like a big overreach and rather misguided but we'll see how it works itself out yeah i don't i don't like any of this at all it feels really puritanical like you said it's an overreach mm-hmm. well moving on from that we are not going to probably see a whole lot of cons this year still, even though, you know, more vaccinations are being distributed and the panic over the pandemic is like dissipating ever so slowly. Like it's still not super safe to congregate in, you know, public and mass still. So we're not getting an anime expo this year. We are getting anime expo like this year, which is going to be a virtual event. It's going to have a $5 ticket price, but all proceeds for this event will be go to charity. This will be held once again on the July 4th weekend, July 3rd, 4th. And yeah, all proceeds are going to go to Hate is a Virus Community Action Fund, which, yeah, it's like an action fund, an organization that is working to dismantle racism and hate as a nonprofit community. So yeah, it's a very good cause. And yeah, so and sadly, AX not happening live again this year but you know there are going to be some good vod content if you want to purchase a ticket for it and you can have access to it for basically up till july 16th so you'll have uh, some you'll be able to revisit that stuff if you aren't able to catch it live so you know as much as i miss the con scene i think it's still cool to offer like a resource and opportunity to you know have panels have kind of like a community event even if it's just online now we'll be getting into some big new anime announcement news. Or, well, we have two new anime announcements that uh, we, we, we want to spotlight here. And one is that it's finally happened. You know, it's been such a long wait that a lot of people gave up hope. <laughs> Infamously, on the last Saturday Night Shoggy, Saikaki and Miriam Vila were like, oh, a Kobe anime, never going to happen. And they released <laughs> this episode literally a week or whatever after this announcement happened that indeed Komi is getting an anime. It's getting a TV anime coming out this October. There's a preview out in anything. You can see Komi animated in, you know, very beautiful quality, like color design animation. Very, very gorgeous. Like this looks like it's going to be a great adaptation. Oh yeah. Great voice cast, great character designs. Like, yeah, it's happening. The Komi anime is coming October, directed by Ayuma Watanabe, known for a lot of really beautiful looking shows like After Rain, Children of the Sea, directed by Kazuki Kawagoi, who has directed like Beyblade, but you know, that's pretty decently directed. And uh, yeah, OLM, great studio, series composition by Deko Akao, who's done a lot of great shows like Somewhere With Their Head Hair, Noragami, Flying Witch, and yeah, Atsuko Hakajima, you know, classic. Uh, incredible character designer like i know them best from rama half but you know they also did tokyo ghoul and a bunch of different shows over the course of career like they're such a expert veteran so the fact that they're doing the comedy designs the comedy designs look so good like uh yeah they're gonna look and anime beautifully so yeah, this is something we're excited about. Like, Komi already is such a popular manga that we see it on the Bookscan charts, you know, even without an anime. So once the anime hits and more people can check it out, like, you just know that it's going to explode even further. Like, people are just going to love finally getting to see the story in color and animated and voiced. And yeah, it's just been a long wait. And I think everyone who's a fan of Komi 
or has even just heard it by reputation, super excited. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. But also super exciting is a new installment in a very great anime franchise that you want to take away, Colton? Yeah, so something else I'm very excited for, as you mentioned, is a new installment of the Lupin the Third TV anime franchise with Lupin the Third Part 6 that was uh, just announced recently. And uh, I mean, we we got a we got a teaser image, we got a we got a, a teaser trailer. We kind of have an idea of like who's going to be on it in terms of uh, you know some of the staff. We got uh, Eiji Suganama who is directing the series at TMS. Uh, we have Takahiro Okura who was uh, uh, is in charge of the series composition. He was uh, previously on Part Five of Lupin, uh, and then we have Hiroki Marufuji who is designing the characters, and of course, Yuji Ono is back to uh, deliver some, I'm sure we're going to be some sizzling beats, as far as the music <laughs> goes. Um, Yuji Ono always does great stuff, but um, yeah, I'm very excited for part six, just because like we don't really know like much about it in terms of like uh, whatever story it's going to have. Um, the teaser trailer doesn't like reveal too much, but it does get me excited for it. Um, I mean, the poster for it, Looks really, really interesting with uh, Lupin kind of doing like a two-faced thing where like half of him is the normal Lupin that we know and love and the other is a dark and evil Lupin and the red shading on his jacket may be blood. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the teaser text image is like, is this man hero or villain or whatever? So it seems like they're going to play with the dark side Lupin a bit in this show. Mm hmm. Uh, I also saw a lot of people commenting on how in the teaser trailer, Lupin has his signature green jacket, which is interesting because uh, some people feel like uh, it's it's weird to to go back to an old jacket color, though. You never know. It might be like a flashback thing or something. But it is it is interesting that like we don't know whether like he has a new jacket color or if he's going like back to an old jacket color. You, you never know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But um. As far as I can tell, um, this new series is going to start airing in Japan around October this year. Yeah, that would make sense to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Lupin. I can only imagine that Crunchyroll is probably going to pick this up for a simulcast, or at least I hope so. Yeah, most likely. Admittedly, I am kind of behind on my Lupin in terms of like the TV series. Um, I'm very barely in part two at the moment, but... I mean, regardless, I, I would like to try to watch this weekly if I have the time, so. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about Lupin is that you don't have to watch them in order. But yeah, like, I, it's super nice to have a new Lupin show since it's been a few years since part five at this point, like three years. So yeah, it's, it's good to have more Lupin TV show. Now, I admit, the director doesn't inspire super confidence because... The works that they've done are not very well respected in terms of, like, how they came out. Like, uh, this is the director of Kodomo Chikan's anime, you know? Mm, so, okay. You know, they, they haven't directed a lot of works that inspire confidence. But, you know, the, the teaser trailer looked fine. So, like, I, even with, like, maybe they just got handled, like, not super great material. Though I... You know, Whispered Words was a great manga, but I think people were let down by the anime that might be in part two directions. I don't know about that, but, you know, I'm hoping for the rest of it. And obviously, like, the, the other people involved with this are Lupin veterans and stuff like that. So, 
I am intrigued at how this is going to turn out. But obviously, more Lupin I'm always going to be excited for. Mm-hmm. I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I'll at least check it out because, you know, most of the time I'm going to say Lupin is pretty good. Even when it's not, like, amazing, it's still enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I think if you watch too much of Lupin in a consecrated uh, amount of time, you might uh, get jaded. Because, like, there's this very entertaining video by, like, Caribou-kun, where he was, like, going through... Basically, he went through all the Lupin movies slash TV specials. I saw that, yeah. And he just got, yeah, he just got so disillusioned with Lupin after it because, like, he just saw the formula just regurgitated over and over again from those specials and just made Lupin feel less special to him coming out of it. So I guess the takeaway from there was, like, you know, you don't have to watch everything in the Lupin franchise. If you maybe you can stick with the best of the best and just enjoy the the stuff that really does something novel and interesting and fun. But yeah, I mean, I hope this is in line of that uh, novel, interesting, fun stuff. So you know, I'm hoping for another very good season of Lupin out of this because I really enjoyed Part Four and Part Five. So here's hoping Part Six is another street for street on that front for the newer Lupin main seasons. Mm-hmm. But uh, that really about does it for like new anime announcements. But uh, we, we have something that we want to talk about in terms of uh, some of the anime coming to Tubi, if you want to take that away. Yeah, now we'll talk about some um, anime that are getting distributed on streaming soon. And this is an update we're going to start off with for the stuff that's coming to Tubi, and namely the Dr. Slump show. That has been confirmed to be the 1997 version. And as of you listening to this, it's already streaming. In fact, the day we are recording this, it started streaming. So you can now watch pretty much all 74 episodes of the 97 Dr. Slump legally streaming on Tubi for free, which is super exciting. I'm glad to have one of the anime available streaming and readily watchable. Like, you know, I don't a lot of people dismiss the 97 version because, you know, their character design changes and it doesn't have, like, kind of the classic score of the original or, or like, it's not found a direct adaptation of stories, like, they tweak things. But I think it's still pretty fun Dr. Slump stuff. Like, it's a pretty fun watch. It's I enjoyed what I had seen of it a lot back in the day. And once again, like, I really liked that four-parter where they basically recreate the Dragon Ball crossover and they flesh it out and add more things to it. So like, I'm really looking forward to watching the show in its entirety and revisiting some of the stuff that I'd seen before and just checking out a lot I hadn't seen before. Like, I'm just glad to be able to watch Dr. Slump legally in some form mm-hmm. in a streaming service in North America. It's just so, it's just wild. It's just exciting to have that. Like, I'm, I'm, re- I'm definitely going to, you know, get on this and like just watch through it all and just uh, like immediately, basically. Like, I'm just, I'm really, really happy. I never thought that we'd finally, we'd get something like this. So I'm so excited for it. And you know what? If a lot of people do watch this version of Slump, you know, maybe we will get the AD series one day. Hey, maybe. That'll be great too. But I'm just happy with this. Like, this is already a lot of great Slump anime, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually checked out at least the first episode of that four-parter, because I remember you mentioned it to me on Twitter a little bit a couple days ago, I think. And uh, yeah, I from from the little I've watched of it this morning, uh, I thought it was cute. I, I would definitely check out more of it. So, you know, I definitely, as, as someone who is not, admittedly not as into Dr. Slump as, like, other people, I again, we do need to, like, 
read I need to read through it and then we'll have to do an episode on it at some point. But, you know, uh, as someone who's not entirely familiar with a lot of it, I thought it was very fun and cute. You know, I would I would not mind watching more of it. The, uh, the character designs actually don't bother me that much. And maybe that's just because I don't have a lot of familiarity with the franchise. But I, I do miss a Raleigh's purple hair, though. That, that was one of my favorite parts about her design. It always looked cute on her. It It's really yeah. it's really weird to see her with, with like, brownish hair. But it it's, again, uh, it's kind of like how, like, Trunks and Super just kind of had blue hair all of a sudden. Like, it's kind of jarring at first, but you just, you just kind of have to get over it, honestly. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. That's not even one of the most radical character hair slash character redesign changes. Like, I feel like the most weird one for me was Taro, where, like, you know, he just had kind of like a 80s, like, slick back hairstyle, and he had black hair, and then in this new 97 version, he has, like, spiky yellow hair. And it's, like, such a... I guess they updated how the characters look to reflect more the 90s than the 80s, which I think is an interesting choice. But yeah, there are some, like, there were some ones when I first saw this show that was like, whoa, like, these, this is a departure from how these characters look. But I don't think it's, like, that big a deal. I think it's still, like, the the same sensibilities and characterizations that you would come to expect from Dr. Slump. So, you know, it's still, to me, like, kind of pretty classic Dr. Slump uh, storytelling. Uh, so the character design stuff, the aesthetic stuff, you know, it's not that big a deal, I don't think. If you're a big fan of the manga or the 80s series, I think you'll it'll take a little getting used to, but you'll jaw with it. Again, I think it just is more Dr. Slump, and I, I just enjoy that a lot. And I'm glad to have so much of it finally available, like a complete series available. So that's great. Yeah, more Dr. Slump is never a bad thing. So, you know, I'm also happy with what we have. But hey, you know, like you said, maybe if enough people watch this 90s version, maybe we'll get the original. You never know. But uh, also just a small update on some other Tubi stuff. Uh, I do believe that the Hades arc of Saint Seiya is now available to watch on Tubi as well, if people are also interested in that. As soon as I'm done with our uh, Manga Mavericks read-through at patreon.com slash manga mavericks of Saint Seiya, I'm definitely going to start watching all the anime because I like it that much. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching the Hades arc. It looks very cool from like the little I've seen of it. Yeah. Now on the Toei train subject, we are getting a new Dragon Ball Super anime film. Ooh. We've been wondering when Dragon Ball Super will be coming back. And indeed, it's coming back with a film in 2022. So it's going to be another new screenplay from Kira Toriyama. He's also going to be contributing new character designs, whatever new characters are going to be in there. And Toriyama's message about this is that this is a new movie since Dragon Ball Super Broly. And like the previous movie, he's heavily leading the story of dialogue production for an amazing film. He doesn't want to talk too much about the plot yet, but there's going to be some extreme and entertaining bouts, which may feature an unexpected character. And so they're going to be trying to show some unexpected territory in terms of the visual aesthetics to give an audience an amazing ride, but they hope everyone will look forward to the new movie. So a lot of people have been concerned that this may be a transition into a CG Dragon Ball film. My only thoughts on that is like, you know, if they make it look as good as like maybe fighters uh but even better kind of blended to like kind of evoke a feeling of the 2d aesthetic of dragon ball but just do this in a 3d environment 3d animation like i think that'll be fine so let's just see how uh that is handled that is the direction but the comment is so vague that we don't like 
fully know if that's really if that's what's really being said or if it's just like oh they're like just experimenting with the animation generally but it's still gonna be a 2d animation film so we'll see we'll see how that turns out now everyone is of course they speculating about who is this unexpected character is this a new character is this gonna be another dig up of an old movie villain recontextualized and canonized and man right now it's just so vague we don't know i am curious but i'm definitely just more excited to have another dragon ball theatrical experience next year especially you know just having good memories of seeing Broly in the theaters like four times like i'm definitely excited to see another entertaining dragon ball film on the big screen and to just have more dragon ball anime because again it has been uh, quite a bit since Broly. i mean i guess no, it, it has been like two years, and by the time it comes out, it'll happen three years. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely ready for it. I'm definitely ready for some more Dragon Ball movie goodness. Oh man, yeah, I I can't wait for this. Um, I'm totally okay if Super until the end of time or whenever it ends just wants to be like a series of movies. I'm doubtful that they're going to do another TV anime. Personally, I wonder about that because I don't know how necessarily the Moro arc. Is it going to work as a movie if they did that as a movie like that? I mean, they, it feels like the pacing of that would work better as a TV show than a movie. And I would say the same about the granola art. I do feel like they're building a buffer. They're building enough story period before they do the show again. But they did see like the big box office potential of Broly and were like, okay, so if we just take our time to make films for now... As we, like, let Toyotaro do his thing and build up story content, like, we can really make some big bank at the box office internationally. Because Broly made as much money in the U.S. alone as it did in Japan. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of potential for it. Especially, like, seeing how the market for anime films has only increased considering the big success of Demon Slayer, Mugen Train over here. Like, yeah, I, I do think that they'll see some success with the next one, especially because there's been so much anticipation and wait and demand for new Dragon Ball anime content. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I do think that we will see a, the TV anime return at some point. But I do think that the strategy of doing films for now while they kind of build up that starting material is also a solid strategy. But, yeah, again, I'm obviously a sucker for Dragon Ball. I'm definitely excited for more Dragon Ball. Um, same same here. I can't wait until 2022. I'm definitely going to see this in the theater. I'm kind of disappointed because I only saw Broly twice in theaters. I really wanted to see a third time, but I couldn't make it work. <laughs> but God, I don't I don't ever see a movie like twice in theaters. So that, that was that was really special for me. I I can't wait for the next movie. It's going to be good. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Now, speaking of big, successful, record-breaking anime film news, let's talk about Demon Slayer Mugen Train. Not only did it beat Dragon Ball Super Broly to take that third highest-grossing anime film of all time in the U.S. lot, it beat Pokemon the Movie 2000 to claim the number two highest-grossing anime film in the U.S. lot. Currently, the film is... Grossed over $45,000. So, you know, Pokemon, the movie 2000, grossed about $43,758,000 back in 2000. It's crazy. 21 years later, something finally surpassed Pokemon 2000 
for that number two highest the anime film in the U.S. spot. And Mugen Train was the one to do it. It just shows like the the insane hype train that is Mugen Train just has not died down. It's been theaters six weeks and running. It's just had like such a huge, long and healthy, at least sustained theatrical run here in the U.S. Like it's, it's pretty astonishing, pretty impressive. But yeah, I mean, what a accolade. Like, I obviously, I don't think Demon Slayer, it's not as close to being number one. I don't know what film could be Pokemon the first movie to be number one. Maybe it'll be that next Dragon Ball movie. Who knows? Like, that's quite a barrier because Pokemon the first movie obviously had the height of Pokemania that was released in and that earned about $85 million. So yeah, like... This is still incredibly impressive, though, that Demon Slayer has earned, like, $45 million, like, still in kind of pandemic conditions. It was kind of one of those films that is going to be now looked back upon as one of the films that kind of reignited the box office in North America because the weekend it came out in, it was, like, one of the highest gross, the highest grossing weekend up until that point uh, since the pandemic had started. Now, obviously, like, the weekend of Cruella, Quiet Place releasing was going to overtake that considerably, but still, like, it was, it was such an impressive film debut for it, especially for an anime film. It has broken so many records. Obviously, it is the highest grossing anime film of 2020, uh, highest grossing anime film of all time, and, like, the highest grossing film of 2020. Like, it's just, it has broken so many records, and, like, one of those records is broken is that it's top 40 billion yen in Japan. The first film ever in Japan to top 40 billion yen. It just continues to climb and climb in these different accolades. And a fun thing is that there's like this breakdown uh, you can point to like that uh, Aniplex released of like the tickets sold in all the regions Nuka Train has been released in and all the different like box office records is broken. It is pretty incredible to see. Like obviously Japan... Looking at this, it's it's incredible to see that Japan, more than like two-thirds of Mugen Train's revenue, such the tickets sold, were in Japan alone. But like the US slash Canada is a territory also is a considerable chunk, but also Taiwan, Hong Kong, Macau. Like almost equally as many tickets sold in that region as US Canada. So that's pretty impressive. And yeah, I mean, man. Like, it's the number one all-time anime film, all-time film in Japan. It's the number one all-time animated film in Taiwan. It's the number one all-time Japanese animated film in Singapore. It was in the box office top five in South Korea for 17 straight weeks. It was the number one film in its opening weekend in Australia and New Zealand. It had a hit run in South in Central America, including Mexico. It had a hit run all over Europe including number one opening in Spain. And yeah, it's like the second Japanese film ever to have topped the U.S. box office since it topped it on the se- its second weekend. And it's the number two all-time anime film in the U.S. And yeah, it is the number one all-time anime film in the Middle East. Like just so, so, so many big records that Buka Train has broken. It's pretty historic. It's pretty incredible. Like 475 million gross worldwide and counting. And to think it didn't even open in China. Just imagine what how even more it would have grossed if it had opened in China. Like I think it would have passed 500 mil. So it's just astonishing. 
I, I'm super curious to see if, if, and assuredly, they will make more Demon Slayer films. Like, how well that'll do. I don't know if it will top Ugin Train. Maybe this is a lightning a bottle kind of moment for the franchise. But it's like, it's still pretty incredible the accomplishments this film has made and how successful this film has been. And deservedly so, it has won an award for its accomplishments and whatnot. It has won the Fujimoto Award bestowed by the Film Theater Culture Association of Japan. It's the 40th annual winner. And yeah, like the staff was basically uh, awarded this reward. This includes Anabuk President and Producer Atsuhiro Okami, Uvatabu Founder President Hikaru Kondo, and Shueisha's Makoto Oyoshi. And yeah, I mean, the award basically recognizes the achievements of film producers who have worked on popular entertaining films. And yeah, obviously, what was more popular and what entertained more masses than Mugen Train Japan last year. So very well deserved and very impressive once again. I wonder, is this the last we'll talk about Mugen Train on this podcast? I guess we will see. But for now, we will go into some very fun little polls that we want to discuss. And there were a lot recently. One that we'll start off with is just this little fun one that was done on the Japanese website NetLab, ranking the female companions, female protagonists of the Pokemon anime franchise. In my opinion, the female protagonists of the Pokemon anime are like the most compelling characters with the best character arcs and whatnot. So this always was going to interest me, see like what Japanese fans consider their favorites. And so going from the bottom to the top, we have Bonnie, who had like, it's interesting, Bonnie and Mal had like less than 100 votes. Like there were only like 5,000-ish people who took this, but it is pretty sad to see that, oh man, Bonnie really did not get a whole lot of votes. She was fun character. She's like kind of a, Less bratty Max, like she was like more fun and kind of playful uh, with her brother in a way that I liked. And yeah, she had a good character arc of her own in the show too. Mallow had such compelling episodes. Mallow comes out of number nine here. Mallow, like man, she had such fun and compelling episodes. Like the one where she kind of like reunited with her like uh, departed mother, like in that fog uh, that kind of shows you past memories that was such a compelling touching episode like all the protagonists of sun and moon were so great but yeah it's kind of sad to see Mallow got so few votes i thought she was a very fun compelling character similarly i feel iris ranks here at number eight i damn she needs more love like i revisited pokemon black and white when the twitch pokemon streams were happening and like, you know, when I was first watching Black and White, uh, when it was first airing, I was like, man, Iris is kind of annoying and bratty to Ash. Like, where does she get off saying that he's, like, such a little kid when she also isn't, like, that much more mature to him? But then watching the show again, I'm like, hey, you know, Iris has a really good character arc of her own. And she honestly is smarter than Ash as Ash is portrayed in X and Y, which isn't, you know... Like, it's a whole other thing about how Black and White kind of regressed Ash's character for a little bit. But, like, Iris had was a very fun character. She had a lot of great episodes, a lot of compelling relationships with her Pokemon, and a good backstory with Drayden and stuff like that. So I, I like Iris a lot. I think that it's great that, you know, the Journeys has brought her back for an episode, and she's champion now. She had a great battle with Ash in one of the most recent episodes. So, like, I, I like that they finally brought her back. Because I, I've always felt it was unfortunate that they retired the tradition of revisiting, like, the previous uh, female protagonists of the series. Like, having them guests visit on the next series after Black and White. So, I'm glad they were finally able to work her back into the show. 
Lana ranked at number seven. And yeah, Lana. I feel like Lana out of between Mallow, Lana, uh, Lily, and Lana. I feel like Lana had like the least to her character arc. But she did have a lot of fun episodes. I mean, she freaking fished a Kyogre. So, you know, she has a lot of cool moments. So, yeah, I, I think that Lana is pretty good. But uh, I'm also a little sad to see her kind of low, I guess. But I guess it's also fitting. Like, she, I don't think she has the strongest character arc. Now, Chloe. Now, this is the one I'm I'm super confused. Because, like, Chloe has some okay episodes. But she's, like, she's probably the weakest uh, of the female protagonists, in my opinion. She doesn't have... She isn't on every adventure. She doesn't travel with Ash and Go. And then she, like, they only check in on her every once in a blue moon, I feel. And, like, I feel like her thing about, oh, she doesn't think she's interested in Pokemon, but then she slowly gets more interested in Pokemon. Like, I feel like we've seen and done that with one-off characters before. I don't think, like, the stuff they do with Chloe adds so much new to that character journey. So, I don't know. I guess people do like her, it seems, to that she'd rank at number six. She get more votes than, yeah. I don't know if she deserves more votes than the other characters ranked below her, but uh, she is fine. Now, top five May, like May is one of my favorites. I think she has a great character arc. I my favorites are Dawn and May, so they would rank at the top for me. But you know, I, when you get into this top five, all these characters pretty fun. Lily is number four, great character arc, super compelling. Misty, I, I feel Misty has a doesn't have a strong character arc, but obviously she, you know, is very iconic and she had, has a lot of great episodes and moments in Time to Shine in the original series. Dawn, very glad to see got as many votes as she did. Like, Dawn and the number one Serena are super, super close. And I do, I would agree. Like, they're both very compelling. I think Dawn has one of the strongest character arcs. Like, she really, like, kind of had the struggle in her journey at the start of it, but then it was super satisfying to when she did finally kind of find her groove in her contest and then like the victory she had there on out and like the grand festival the Sinnoh grand festival is like so good like the battle she has with zoe the conclusion of that is so good sedan is definitely my favorite and yeah i'm glad that japanese fans agree and yeah i guess serena is people's favorite serena's arc had a little bit of a slow burn in my opinion but you know People like her a lot because she's like the only female protagonist that actually had a crush on Ash, like explicitly. And so people, you know, very invested in that. And, you know, they did have a kiss at the end there. You know, she did work up her feelings to finally be a front to kiss her, kiss him before she left. And, yeah, you know, she also had a very good character arc of growing into her own with her uh, Pokemon coordinator stuff. So, yeah, I thought it was a fun little list. And I just like talking about the Pokemon anime and the characters because I care about it a whole lot and have lots of top feels and I was I thought this list was pretty fun to go through. Now we'll get into some other pop poll stuff including more for Way of the House Ups and I don't have too much to say about this one. Obviously you know main character number one here. I just thought it's funny that the cat came at number two. Like the pet cat was number two like above like you know the wife and the like local cop and like the his old gang pal who turned best friend i thought that was just funny that the cat came in number two so i don't have too much to say about that it kind of makes sense like these are like the most prominent characters the way a house husband and the ordering makes sense here but uh yeah now we'll move into the shonen jump related ones and one that visited recently was for boruto and 
one thing I wish is that they gave like the explicit how who voted, how many people voted for this character. I, I they give like the ranking, but I wish we had like kind of numbers to see the extent of the difference between these. But it's interesting just to go through the top ten. We had Samiria number ten, and then Himawari at number nine, Mitsuki at eight, Kawaki at seven, Sakura at six, Sasuke at five, Hinata at four, three is Sarda, two is Naruto, one's Boruto. Now I feel like this has gotta be influenced in part by people who are watching anime because if it was just the manga, like. I can't imagine you voting for Zamira if you just read the manga. She's barely in it. I mean, her character arc is just way more fleshed out in the anime. Like, because they actually show it. Here, like, she just kind of shows up in the story. And, like, people who are only reading the manga are like, who is this Samira girl? Did we, do we know her? And if you watch the anime, like, yeah, you know who. You see her entire journey and her relationship with the rest of the characters. And why she makes a decision to kind of give up being, like, a... A battle ninja to go into kind of like research and development and stuff like that and you know she's a good character she's an interesting character but like in the manga you wouldn't know that and then nine is himawari and like you know even in the anime himawari has like good spotlight episodes but I, I wouldn't say like he's even the most i feel like the anime doesn't even make the most use of her so it's kind of strange that she's still ranked this high like there's some fun, cute episodes, like, you know, with, especially ones that, like, kind of focus, like, with her relationship with Boruto or her relationship with Naruto. Those can be cute, but I I don't think they're, like, super, like, if she, if she isn't, like, a super interesting character in terms of, like, like deeper character arc stuff going on with her. Mitsuki, I think, is... Mitsuki has so much in the anime and, like, nothing in the manga. It's just so strange that the manga really underutilizes him. And he's, like, it's the focus of, like... Not only just a bunch of episodes, but, like, there's an entire huge long arc in the anime that's focused on him and, like, his loyalties relationship with Boruto and stuff. Like, so, that's kind of a shame. Kawaki, I think, is, like, the best character in Boruto, the most interesting, hands down. Sakura, you know, it's so interesting. Sakura and Sasuke are so good in Boruto. Like, I like them so much more in Boruto than I do in Naruto. So, yeah, I think rating the Boruto versions of them so highly makes sense. Now, Hinata, I'm not so sure, because Hinata doesn't do a lot, either anime or manga-wise, said Boruto. Like, she's like, I don't, I, yeah, I just don't think she has been super prominent, so I don't know, like, just rating her based off of Boruto that highly. Sarada is a great character, uh, gets a lot of stuff, especially in the anime. Naruto, Boruto version, is very interesting, of course, like, him grappling as, like, a, a dad, who's overburdened at first and overworks and doesn't neglect his family, causing tension between him and his kids, but then, you know, it learns to create that work-life balance. And then his relationship with Kawaki is super uh, compelling, like him being a mentor figure to Kawaki and Kawaki becoming very endeared to him. And yeah, Naruto has had some great stuff in Boruto, honestly, so it makes sense that he drank highly. And yeah, Boruto's number one because it's the main character, I guess. Even though I don't know if I'd... Man, I don't know if I'd rank Boruto personally like Porto is a fine character he has a good arc to him but I do like Sarada and even what Naruto does in Boruto Naruto's arc in Boruto more than Boruto but Boruto is fine and then uh for 11 to 21 it's interesting that they go as far as 21 maybe there was just that many few choices uh but yeah Kashin Koji very cool Shigadai, Shigamaru. Code is such a mean character because his design is so stupid with those letter straps on him that it's like, 
Have you seen Code's design, Colton? Do you know what he looks like? I can't say I do, no. Oh my god, he is the stupidest looking character. <laughs> it's this stupid strap that goes across his head. Uh, yeah, what what is this? <laughs> what is this strap across this black leather strap that's just acro- going across his head? It's like stapled to his to his head and then his costume is so garish. It's like it's like he's designed to be this edgy cool character, but he's just so dumb looking. And he's his personality is not much better too. He's very much like this Gary's deal of like, oh, he was actually the the real strongest member of Kara. More than Ishki. E- even though like we barely talked about him before all the other members of Kara were killed off. And then it's like Okay, sure. Like, he's super strong, even though he doesn't have karma. It's because he was so uniquely strong that he couldn't inherit the karma. So it's just so dumb. Like, he's, he's, he's so stupidly designed. He's, he's like a mean character to, to, to a lot of people who read Bardo, I think. Th- this this character looks like they were they were meant to be like a character in Black Clover, but they got rejected because he was too overdressed. Black Clover has better character <laughs> design sense than this. That's, wh- that's no. why I said he was rejected. <laughs> And yeah, Momoshiki number 15, Orochimaru 16, and Ojin 17, Ada 18. Ada just got introduced in the manga. Like, she's not. So I guess people just like her design, or, you know, she's interesting new female character, or villain, antagonist. And then Ishiki number 19, Chojo 20, Delta 21. So yeah, I think like it the the characters don't surprise me of who of like what ranked in the top ten. Uh, because it's like, hey, the most popular characters from Naruto who still have a presence in Boruto, uh, plus the most prominent characters in Boruto, essentially. I just, I think Himawari is weird, because, again, Himawari doesn't have much to her, She aside from being, like, Boruto's cute sister, but, you know, it's, it's fine. But yeah, that was the Viz Boruto poll. Now let's move on to the action on the subject about Clover. Let's talk about the Black Clover interim character popularity polls results for a bit. Now we'll get probably the full results by by the time we'll do the next roundup. But I do think some of these interim results are pretty interesting. Namely that, you know, Not is ranking really highly, very, very on here at number two. And then I guess Dante is the most popular member of the triad because he's currently ranking number six in these interim results. And that's like, huh, I would not have expected Dante to be the most popular member of the Dark Triad. I would have expected, like, Vanica or Zeno, because, you know, Zeno has, like, the more traditional, always kind of the more pretty boy antagonist. And then Vanica's, of course, like, the crazy Yandere girl antagonist. And then, like, Dante is kind of like, I guess he maybe gets that, like, real structure. Or maybe just people really like that fight against him Yami and Asta versus Dante which was a really great fight I'm just surprised he ranked so highly and honestly I you know I do also like the fight uh, he has had with Magna recently so you know uh he's a fairly decent antagonist I don't know if he's I like him better than Vanica or Zeno though but uh it's just weird that he, he's ranking so highly uh, not super surprising that, uh, Lieb is number seven. Obviously, I, I thought Leashed and, uh, no. I thought that, uh, Lieb would be pretty popular. And I think it's funny that the guy who's basically a caricature of, uh, the lead singer of Snow is number ten. Like, purely it's just for the meme of, like, hey, this guy is, like, 
based on the lead singer of Snow. It's just it's just this random assistant to basically Sally in the in the story who I can't even remember his name, but it's, it's just based on the lead singer of Snow. Who admittedly they did contribute some of the best uh, opening themes of Black Clover, but it's just funny that this like minor character is in the top ten. And then uh, I guess the only other surprise is that Kahono is ranking pretty high up despite not being in the story for like a long, long time in number 12. But yeah, I'm interested to see the final results. So I'm not going to belabor like where everyone else is ranking because I think uh, where the other characters are ranking right now, the who is else is ranking pretty high right now. Makes sense as some of the most popular characters consistently. But it's taught some of the new editions were pretty interesting in terms of the placements and kind of the novelty of some of these characters that I'm surprised or doing as well as they are. Now we'll move on to the Chainsaw Man character popularity poll, which also had some pretty surprising results. Or Because I I mean, I thought we were both expecting like power would uh, rank number one again, mm-hmm. but that's not the case because uh, Aki came in and quite a margin of the number two too. Like Aki came in with about 88,000 votes. Mm, I'm just surprised he ranked higher than, uh, than Makima in particular. Yeah, Makima, 12,000 votes more than Makima. It comes in at second with 76,000 votes. And she's about power who had 69,000 votes. Now, it's interesting that the top street is basically kind of the same street people, but just like in like reverse order. Because Aki was three last time, now he's one. And power was one last time, but now she's three. But you can still say that these are consistently the most popular characters of Chainsaw Man. Now, Denji has moved up the place. He's number four this time, fifth last time. Basically swapped with Reza, who was fourth last time, and now it's fifth this time. But he comes at 59,000 votes. Uh, Reze is 45,000 votes. Sixth placed is Yoshida, who I'm surprised is as popular as he is, because... You know, not the most memorable character in the story, in my opinion, but he was 10th last time, now he's 6th place. Angel Devil was 6th last time, now he's 7th, and 27,000 votes. Uh, Himeno went up quite a bit, ironically, because she hasn't been in the story at all. It's like she's not any less dead than she was when the first poll uh, was conducted, but she went up, uh, so she was 11th last time, 8th this time, 27,000 votes. Then Pochita is same place at ninth with 26,000 votes. And then we got Kobeni sadly down two spots, but still in the top 10, 22,000 votes. So I think uh, generally a pretty reasonable top 10 of characters you would expect would be, you know, consistently popular. I think I still find Yoshida being so popular kind of strange, not like the most memorable character for me. I definitely think that the characters who ranked 11th to 13th of Quan Ji, Beam, and uh, what was his name? Can't say I remember either. Regardless, he was a major character in the story, and he had like a interesting arc to him. I just the name escapes me. But like I would expect like because. I feel like they need more repercussions. I would expect them to be in the top 10. Now, it is funny that the meal that Denji makes out of Makima's flesh, it ranks in number 14. So that is funny. His grill set meal. And then Kabeti's car, you know, not in the top 10 this time, but it is number 15. So still ranking pretty highly. Makima's reincarnation of Yuta comes in at 18th. Naoi is 19th. So... 
<laughs> the family burger clerk that got decapitated is 22nd. There are some there are some fun rankings here. Powers chest pad was 25th. <laughs> That's pretty good. Some very fun uh, answer choices. Sadly, no mean choices got into top 10, but, you know, still some fun votes for some fun, uh, not really characters, but like weird objects people have latched onto. But yeah, pretty cool Chainsaw Man popularity poll here. And what's also cool is Undead Luck had just had their first popularity poll and also some cool results to that as well. So 10 was Mui, who came in at about over 2,000 votes. And then we got 9 is Billy, also 2,200 votes. 8 is Tatiana, 2,400 votes. Then we had 7 was... Rick, who has 3,300 votes. Six is Gianna. Now, Gianna's the most surprising one. I was not expecting her to be as popular as you assume she, like, is killed off in, like, chapter eight or whatever. But she came in at six to 4,000 votes. Then fifth was Weez at 5,200 votes. Fourth was uh, Shen, 5,300 votes. I do like that they have drawn him in Zhangxi form based, you know, on the recent events of the story. This is a good touch. And then Stree was Analon. This makes me happy that this character was so beloved. 5,500 points. And then Fuko comes in number two, 8,700. And number one, of course, is Andy, 9,400 votes. So yeah, I mean, I feel like this top 10 mostly is expected, uh, expected characters, like of who would be the most popular, who are like the most prominent characters in the story. I think the biggest surprise is that Gianna is so popular at number six here, because again, she was like basically in the first volume of the story and it's killed off. And I mean, I guess she is referred back to every now and again, but like, I guess she really did leave an impression with readers. I guess so. It was a compelling character uh, in her story. But yeah, I mean, I guess I'm surprised that Rick's partner, Latla, was not in the top 10. Because she, you know, has a pretty good design, I think. And she has a pretty interesting character, it seems. Considering she seems to have some sort of mixed feelings between, like, Rick trying to basically avenge or save uh, her dead sister and whatnot. So she seems to have a complicated partnership relationship with Rick. Uh, so I'm I'm curious to see her character develop alongside Rick. So yeah, um, I think it, uh, these were good choices. I, I'm very happy. I think most of all for Anna one being ranked so highly because man, that character story was so compelling and that entire autumn arc was so so good. And yeah, like that man, that final the final moments of that arc where that resolution for that character's arc was just so satisfying and so. Good man. So, really, really compelling stuff. So, yeah, good top 10. I think the voters chose very well, and I agree with a lot of these choices. And now we've gotten to the big popularity poll, of course, to talk about, and that is the One Piece worldwide popularity poll. Like, this big event that they did over across two months-ish, where they basically allowed everyone all across the world to vote in this big giant character popularity poll to create this world top 100 and we're not going to go through all 100 because that'll take forever we can link you to the list of all 100 characters that ranked in this thing because obviously one piece had a lot of characters so you know there's a lot but i guess we'll just talk about the top 10 bottomed them up here 
So we got Sabo, number 10, 318,000 votes. Number 9, Ace, 300,000, 55,000 votes. Now we got a surprising one. Carrot, number 8, 388,000 votes. Uh, number 7 is Hancock, 392,000 votes. 6 is Robin, 599,000 votes. Yeah. 5, Trafargo Law, 646,000 votes. Sanji, number 4, 970,000 votes. Nami, coming in number 3, 1,085,000 votes. Yeah. Zoro, at number 2, 1,445,000 votes. And Luffy, of course, number 1, most popular character worldwide in One Piece, 1,637,000 votes. So yeah, I mean, I think top 2 pretty consistent with what the top two have been in Japan for a long time. But I'm so happy to see Nami rank number three in this global poll, outplacing Sanji very well. It's very sweet that like the, the original trio is like the top three favorite characters. You know, that's that was very nice. And then a lot of these other choices uh, are common to the Japanese top tens we've seen. But I there are some definite surprises. Carrot number eight, like... Uh, and I see a lot of outpouring of love for this character. I know that made Sam very happy to see. Oh, yeah. And I know it made Grant very happy to see Robin rank just outside the top five, number six. Like, it's so nice to see Robin rank in the top ten after so long. Like, she's been in the t- out of the top ten in the last couple of Japanese polls. But thanks to the global poll, she's back up there, which is great and well-deserved. All right, Oda, now you have to do more with Robin. Yeah, but also super interesting is that you know, going outside this top 10 is Yamato super close to breaking in to that top 10 with number 11, you know, for a recent character to be so really well received and really well liked, I think is, again, well deserved. I think Yamato's a fun character, but it's super interesting to see that people are very passionate about him. And yeah, I think the rest of the top 20 are choices that you'd find common the Japanese poll too. I think it's still as surprising to me that Roshiant is as popular as he is, but he was a compelling character. Like I revisited some of the flashback stuff, think because the dub kind of for those episodes came out recently. And yeah, like it's a good backstory and he was a compelling character. But uh, yeah, like again, I think there were some really fun results in this full top 100. We won't go through them all. But uh, I think some of the fun ones to note is Whoop Slap came at number 37. So that a whole campaign to get him up there really worked out because he, he beat out a lot of uh, more prominent characters. Oh, like, boy. Uh, Tashigi and Rob Lucci <laughs> and Garth and <laughs> so many. Huh. Uh, so go congrats on Luffy's mayor <laughs> being so uh popular. I wonder what Whoopslap would think about this. I don't know. I guess someone that should be in a cover request. Like Whoopslap relaxed his placement on the One Piece World Top 100 character popularity <laughs> poll. <laughs> Uh, uh, someone said oh to that request i would like to see characters reacting to their placement on the damn popularity poll. that would be so cool funny. uh this was fun i like this global popularity poll. i hope uh they do more of these for more series it was so i think the live streams were just so fun to see like all these youtubers uh who are super passionate about one piece from all these different countries like kind of join together as a community to just you know gush over the characters and then just react live to like the results being announced like that was a really fun community experience a really cool global community interactive experience so yeah i I like 
that they did this for One Piece. It made this feel very special. I really do hope that they do this again for not just One Piece, for more series because it was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, it was good. Um, did my best to cast at least one vote a day while it was opening or while it was going. I wish Usopp got in the top 10. He's in, he's at number 15, though, so that's good. Um, I feel sorry for Frankie and Brooke, who are not yeah. in the top 20. The only straw hats, not in the top 20. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's fine, I guess. Maybe. Um, I'm just happy Crocodile's at 17. I'm I'm glad he broke the top 20, because he's still, like, my favorite One Piece villain, like, easily. Yeah. I think it's really... Yeah, Crocodile, I would agree, is my favorite One Piece villain. I think that was to be expected. He'd be popular, because I think a lot of people agree. And, you know, Japanese polls last few you know i think he has been ranking top 20 consistently it is super interesting that i guess if we were looking at the villains katakuri is now like i guess the most popular villain globally as according to this poll but he was a compelling character like he was interesting and the fight with him and luffy was fun in retrospect i i thought he was all right uh, i i like to think that it's because uh tomokazu sukita voices him in the anime that maybe he has that many fans i don't know that's my my conspiracy yeah, I mean, theory <laughs> you know that, that could help for sure i mean it was, it was a good performance for sure oh yeah for sure all right but that's finally about it for our news I know this episode's running kind of long, but we still have the matter of uh, Chojin X from Sweet Ishida to talk about. Uh, thankfully, we only have one chapter to talk about. And um, I mean, it won't be a super long discussion, but I think we'll have at least something to say. Um, Lum, do you want to talk a little bit about what Chojin X is about before we start? Essentially, in this world, there are these superhumans called Chojin that kind of have these like deranged powers like they have all this power and it seems that they're kind of uh considered like dangerous and uh, villainous because like they're often destructive our protagonists are basically two high schoolers tokyo kurohara and then azuma and you know tokyo is kind of like more of a he's not one to like jump into a scene or in which trouble is brewing. Whereas Ozma is more of the heroic type who like will go and interject himself into dangerous situations to like protect people. Like in Tokyo's eyes, like he's like the town hero. And like one of our first introductions to him is like him breaking the arms of like this tug who is harassing a girl. It's like super violent, his kicks. It's like it causes this guy's arms to just completely break. Like bones are sticking out of his skin. It's just insane. Oh, yeah. But essentially, it seems that someone is going around and transforming people into Chojins. Like, this bully guy, he was approached by someone who, like, has a needle and that kind of... He injects him with something in, in the needle that, I guess, is like, changes his body to turn him more into a Chojin. And so now his arms can stretch and... Like, his body can stretch, and, like, uh, they have to fight this guy. But, of course, it's hard to beat him, because now he's become basically a deranged stretch person. <laughs> like, he's more de- like, it's just a, a deranged, evil uh, Mr. Fantastic or Luffy, I guess. And he lerves violence. <laughs> he lerves violence, yeah, he starts talking slang. That's a... Man, we'll talk about the art. But, yeah, so basically... Uh, he beats up Azuma, and then Tokyo comes across the needle that turned the guy into a Chojin. And so they basically are debating, like, hey, 
we can't beat this guy just as normal humans. We gotta become a Chojin. But, like, Tokyo stops Azuma from doing it himself. He's like, hey, you know, you can't use that if you don't... Because I just get the sense that if you do, like, I'm not going to be able to say friends. You might lose your humanity or whatnot. And so Tokyo injects himself with whatever is in this vial, and he becomes a Chojin himself. Like, we don't have super great grasp of his powers other than, like, he, like, basically punches this dude's head and makes it, like, explode or whatever. Like, just super immediately. And so he also kind of has, like, kind of a vulture, like, uh, Plague Doctor-y mask, kind of reminiscent of a Tokyo Ghoul-style ghoul mask. But yeah, that's basically the first chapter is that they beat the evil Chojin dude and now Tokyo himself is a Chojin. So in this respect, it does have a lot of vibes, I guess, similar to the beginning of Tokyo Ghoul of like this normal kid who's kind of not wimpy. He doesn't like to get himself into trouble. He's more of an introvert. He is trusting his situation in an interaction with kind of like this uh, villainous or not necessarily villainous, but like kind of this, you know, uh, utter type of superhuman and he's put in a life and death situation in which in the aftermath of that he himself has become that form of superhuman in this case you know Tokyo has become a Chojin and that remains to be seen of like Asuna himself will become a Chojin at some point like maybe did he actually take the vial himself like what explains his super strengths is he already a Chojin or maybe he's just like a real strong human or but what is the relationship between them going to be like going forward but it most likely is going to be like a probably you know get into more fights with Chojin and then Asuna's kind of dedication to heroism will push Tokyo into more uh, fights where he's going to have to fight to protect people or have a sense of justice. So it's it's going to be interesting to how it develops. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think like the big standout of this chapter is just that Ishida's art is just uh, really dynamic and he has a really knack for creating some really affecting, horrifying and insane, trippy, psychedelic <laughs> visuals like... <laughs> Where it be that fire Chojin, like, burning up entire plane of people. And we just see them exploding into, like, fire. Or, like, Azuma kicking the bully guy's arms right in half. And <laughs> the bones sticking out. Or, of course, like, the insane iconic page is, like, when this bully guy is, like... First, there's one where he's just, like, beating up Izana. Like, and... Or uh, Azuma, and he's like, has this this distorted pers- uh, expressions as his head is just going over the place. It's like he beating up Azuma with his head, and it's just like <laughs> it's the lures me some violence panel. That that's insane, <laughs> but also is insane is the panel of like when he exploits his two lackeys' heads off uh, with his neck, oh, and man. we just see uh, Tokyo like running in between them, and it's just this crazy visual in which. Man, Nishida has this text that runs across that basically is like, there's no going back, and then do or nothing. And it's just, and these texts is like sp- inserted like in the split of like these guys' head exploding in like the blood splatter. And then in between these guys' head exploding is, to- we, we see Tokyo running with just like this super freaked out expression. <laughs> blood splatter behind him as well. Man, it's just such insane uh dynamic art and illustrations that like play with like what is actually happening for just to create this like kind of again effect of surrealism of like 
just the fact that this is an insane situation that is literally playing with the psyche and the mind of these characters. And I think probably the psychology of these characters and how that's affected by, you know, getting to these fights with training or being a training himself is probably going to be something at play, considering that the bully guy, his, he just goes super crazy once he becomes a Jojin. And so clearly, clearly there's going to be some uh, element of uh, psychedelism in this or surrealism in this so yeah i mean just again ishida's art super dynamic uh super striking and interesting visuals here but yeah it's a very interesting first chapter i don't know if it necessarily gives me that i felt i don't know if i necessarily felt that connected to the characters uh in this first chapter as i did with tokyo ghoul and i felt with Kaneki. but you know i'm definitely curious to read more just because the art was so he really went crazy with the art uh in multiple meanings and yeah, it does seem like a good premise to allow for some crazy action, allow him to explore like crazy art ideas in a fun way. And the fact that Ishida is writing this on an irregular schedule, like this is going to have an interesting release schedule because there's no set release schedule. Like this is basically going to be written as Ishida writes it. Like a chapter will come out as he finishes it. So I'm, yeah, that's pretty freeing to just allow Ishida to have full reign and creative control of like when he's going to release a chapter uh when he wants to so you know i'm definitely for checking in on this series uh whenever it updates but yeah it was pretty interesting oh man yeah um as someone who when we were kind of first starting up the podcast we originally talked about tokyo ghoul you read way more of it than i did i kind of only read like a volume at the time and um i wasn't really super into it Tokyo Ghoul is something I definitely want to revisit for the show at some point and actually give it like more of a fair shake than I did at first because I, I do feel kind of bad that I didn't read more of it. Um, but that that was kind of before we started doing these bigger manga discussions and things. So we were just kind of starting off with that kind of stuff, admittedly. But with all that being said, as someone who wasn't like super into Tokyo Ghoul when they tried it out, you know, all those years back and going into this, um, the first chapter of this is honestly pretty fucking amazing i actually couldn't believe what i was reading it's <laughs> like i i don't know what to say about the art like it's it's it just has this level of like bizarre surrealness that like really just kind of pulls me in uh, wh wh whether it be you know stuff like the like the hyper violence or you know, like the moment before they inject each other with the Chojin serum or whatever you want to call it, you know, where they're basically just like, hey, you ready for this? And they're about to do it. And you have that shot of like the like the little dandelion fluttering in the in the breeze or whatever. Like it's it, it's stuff like that, that like it's it's some some people can maybe see it as like pretentious or something, depending on how you read it. But like I thought it was it it's it weirdly really adds to the moment. Or whatever. I don't know. I just, just choices like that really kept my interest. And I'm also really kind of interested in the, uh, in the relationship between Tokyo and, uh, Azuma with Tokyo seemingly being this person who, like, feels like he's constantly in the shadow of his best friend. And I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of interested in seeing, like, how that's developed and, like, how, uh, Ishida will, like, explore that dynamic almost. Um, but yeah, I mean, you me you mentioned the start of the chapter with like the kid on the plane talking about like how they're going to get rich and all this stuff they're going to like uh, use their money what on a or misdirect. whatever. Like you think that <laughs> we're building up who the protagonist of the story is going to be, but 
no, he should have just kills off this little girl and this entire plane of people and that just seeing this plane burning plane like cra- like soaring through the sky like crashing like that's their that that entire first opening pages was just to sell this shocking twist of you know all these characters being burned alive and it's then to give an impact of like what a chojin is capable of now i i guess i do feel kind of I, I do have some mixed feelings about like spending as much time as he did on those opening pages to just get across that twist moment but like it definitely was effective it was unexpected for sure <laughs> oh yeah i i honestly i i thought he spent like just enough time on that in particular um personally speaking uh yeah i mean i don't know this was I, I didn't know anything about this going in. Like, I had seen people kind of, like, talking about it or whatever when the first chapter popped up. But, like, I I didn't, like, hear any, like, specifics or whatever. I just knew, like, oh, the Tokyo Ghoul guy has, like, a new thing out or whatever. And I just didn't really think much of it because, again, I'm I, – I don't have any strong feelings on Tokyo Ghoul at the very least. So I was just like, okay, whatever. I'll, I'll check I'll, – I'll read it closer to, like, when we talk about it on the podcast or whatever. But um, I, this might be a bold claim and – I don't want to come off like hyperbolic or whatever, but this might be the best first chapter of any like new thing I've read this year. <laughs> it's it's like it's really good. I wasn't expecting like to love it so much. I'm like as happy as I am that Ishida is going to go at his own pace with this story. Like I think more mangaka deserve that kind of treatment and schedule. I'm really sad that like I don't know when chapter two is going to come out because I really want to see where the rest of the story goes. Mm-hmm. Well, I personally wasn't super invested in Tokyo and Asuma as much as I want to be coming out of this chapter. I do think artistically, like, this is definitely the standout debut chapter of the year so far. Like, I don't think artistically anything tops, like, some of the imagery Ishida manages to dream up in this chapter. Like, it just, like, this, again, the sense of surrealism and this mania in this, in this crazy action scene, in this crazy battle between the Shoujin guy. Like, man, again, that is, it is definitely stunning. Like, I, I have not really read Tokyo Gori, so maybe this is definitely part of the development Ishida's artist had over the course of his career, but it is so striking to see this sense of dynamism and like evolve since the beginnings of Tokyo Ghoul. It's just so standout. Like I was definitely impressed on in Ishida's art in this. Like these are this was like some art that, that we I haven't seen like kind of of a quality in terms of like being so evocative since Chainsaw Man. I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, I I wasn't sure if I wanted to make the Chainsaw Man comparison because I wasn't sure if it was, like, uh, super comparable. But, like, yeah, I I got the same feeling reading this the same time I read Chainsaw Man, where it's just, like, I've never read anything like this before. And it feels so... Like, the level of artistic skill at display here is just... It's kind of mind-blowing. Like, those last few two-page spreads kind of finishing up the fight with the bully or whatever, uh, and Tokyo transforming into the Chojin, and then you have, like, the title drop at the very end. Like, that's that's so fucking cool. Like, I don't I don't know how you... I don't know how... Like, I, it's so good. And now I'm getting to the point where now I'm just going to gush about it, but, like, this would make a really good first anime episode. 
Yeah, I mean, with the right team to animate and accentuate, like, Ishida's already strong uh, visual sensibilities, like, oh man, I can just imagine how this would look animated. I, I, I mean, it's considering this is going to be drawn on a regular pace, like, it'll probably be a long uh, crawl to yeah. get to an anime adaptation for this, to get enough material for one, but I would like to see, like, if this story if the if it keeps being of this level of quality at least interesting and dynamic uh as visually as it is in this first chapter like yeah i would definitely love to see anime adaptation with this sometime down the line oh man like if you're listening to this and you haven't read this yet go read this like i i, I think we both highly recommend it I'm really looking forward to this next one. Like, I feel bad because, like, I'm so behind on, like, all the other simulpubs that I need to catch up on at some point. But, like, uh, I'm I'm going to go out of my way to try to make sure I'm, like, up to date on this. It's 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 really got my attention. But, yeah, I mean, uh, if, if in case you don't know, um, th- this is available on Shonen Jump as well as Manga Plus. So, you know, the, the fir- first chapter of this is obviously free to read on both, I believe. So... You know, just just go read it. We'll, we'll leave a link in the show notes in case you don't know how to get to those somehow at this point. Just go go read it. It's really good. Easily like ten out of ten for me. Abs. Well, maybe not t- arc wise. Ten out of ten. That's right. I yeah. do hope the story picks up and like we get the characters fleshed out a little bit more. The direction of the story fleshed out a little bit more. But yeah, arc wise, like ten out of ten. Like this isn't uh, nothing else uh, tops it visually in terms of other manga new manga that have come out this year for sure mm-hmm. all right but um god I, th- I think we're finally done with the show yeah we're not doing community shout outs this time you'll probably have already listened to our recent round of community shout outs though we'll probably have a longer one for you or we probably had a longer one for you in our last episode on solo exchange diary that we released so you can visit those but i mean we did that because we knew that this was going to be a long one Mm-hmm. We, we just had so much to talk about, and personally speaking, as a partial editor, I can only edit so much during the week. So, yeah, whatever we don't get to this episode, you've all, probably already heard on our Soul Exchange Diary episode, or we'll get to on another episode. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's going to be about it for the episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And, um, I mean, I guess as far as, like, whatever else is supposed to come up on the podcast, I mean... I forget if we've already mentioned this at the, at this point, but uh, we are going to be releasing a lot of like LGBTQ focused uh, podcast episodes over the next like month or two. So please look forward to those. Absolutely, we have quite a great schedule planned. We've got a great lineup of episodes and guests planned. So look forward to those. I'm really excited for what we're going to cover in the next couple of months in terms of LGBTQ manga content. All right, but uh, until then, um, Lum, where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lumrumayasha on Twitter and Lumrumayasha to write places like Anisha Revelation and Analyst. Reuters of Lumrumayasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on all.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so look forward to more on there. You can also find on there all the related podcasts that I do, included Manga Arts Movies, a show where we talk about anime movies, like eventually we'll probably do an episode on Sailor Moon Eternal, so look out for that. And of course, hashtag Lums throughout the podcast I co-host with my good friend Andrew A.C. Yoshimura, where we cover the wonderful Wacky World, and we're going to introduce Yurisei Yatsura. We've been going through the manga, catching up on the releases of the manga from this media. We've basically caught up. We'll be doing Volume 10 probably next, but we've also been doing the movies, and we've recorded 
recorded our only you episode and i'm super excited for you guys to listen to it because we had a great discussion going over the history of the film the production history of the film and then kind of the themes of the film how it uses the characters it was a really good discussion that highlights the strengths and some of the foibles of the film like i really enjoyed discussing the film and it made me so excited for our future discussions because if we had that much to say about only you man we're gonna have just so much to talk about with the other films like we already have decided beautiful dreamer has to be a two-part episode because one has to be dedicated just for the production history just for the the legacy of beautiful dreamer and then one has to be on the film itself and they're all both are probably going to be two-hour discussions and then main honestly we might have to do the same for some of the future films. Lumda Forever might need that treatment for sure, too. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really excited. So, yeah, look forward to some great Yours Yachts or Talk on Lump Squad. And if you like the art that I draw for our podcasts and the art I make in general, animations, illustrations, you can find all of that stuff on my Instagram at SidArtworks. All right. But as for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a few other podcasts besides this one, which you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. I have a page dedicated with links to whatever I'm doing at the moment, including this podcast. Uh, one podcast prevails, a podcast about Detective Conan slash Case Close, whatever you want to call it, uh, as well as Just Again Time, a podcast, uh, the SSA podcast. Uh, and whatever else I'm not thinking of at the moment, uh, all my podcast and whatever I'm doing and whatever I have done is all on that page again at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, as for manga mavericks in the podcast, you can find every episode of our podcast over at all-comic.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you are a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Where at the $2 tier, if you sign up for that tier in particular, you will have access to uh, basically early editions of our podcast, depending on like uh, when we have them edited. Just for example, if we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited early before we're meant to put it up on our main feed, we'll put it up on our Patreon first. So you have uh, you have you have the potential to listen to some episodes of the podcast early before anyone else. Sometimes a couple weeks, sometimes even a month or two before we put it up on the main feed. So uh, you you want the chance to listen to some of our episodes early? Sign up for our two dollar tier. Or if you want some uh, bonus exclusive content, you can sign up for a $5 tier, where at the $5 tier, uh, you get at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we recently just did a podcast on the live-action 2008 Speed Racer movie from the Wachowski siblings with our good friends Joey and Sam from the One Piece podcast. Uh, please go listen to that episode if I haven't already said it enough. A good movie. We love talking about it to complement our previous Speed Racer manga episode of Manga Mavericks. And so, yeah, you can find that and and so much more over at uh, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, if you sign up and support us, it really helps us kind of keep the lights on and basically support everything we do. Uh, again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, please go support us if you can. We'd really appreciate it. But uh, as for everything else, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash all.comic or on Twitter at twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks in particular, you want to follow us at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, uh, where we have different excerpts of the podcast and some exclusive content every once in a while we upload there. Uh, again, youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Please subscribe to us. 
Uh, email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Do you have any thoughts on any of the news we covered this episode? What do you think about Chojin X from Sweet Ishida? You know, do you have any thoughts on the length of our podcast? Uh, you know, email us anything about manga or the podcast, uh, and we'll read them on the show. We love getting emails. Again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcast or basically, you know, wherever podcasts are available. We're on so many different platforms at this point. But especially on Apple Podcast, uh, it would really help us if you leave us a rating and a review. It really helps the visibility of our show and helps us get out there to more listeners. Uh, and just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys. You know, let us know how we're doing or how we can change the show. Um, you know, we really take your feedback seriously uh, in order to make the show as good as possible. But that's going to be about it for this episode. This has been episode 162 of the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com. We will see you guys next time for episode 163. Bye, guys. Sayonara. I'm not